Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 82, and in it, Graham McMillan and I jump right into the deep end of the comic book catch-up talk, starting with Action Comics number 8, and we don't let up for the next 2 hours and 25 minutes. Topics discussed include OMAC number 8, the colorization of Scott Pilgrim, the battles behind the TV show Community, a blog post about the comics internet, Casanova number 3, Supreme number 20, Fatal number 4, Dave Sims' amazing Glamour Post issue 24, Strike Force Marturi, and in this week's Listen to Jackass, Jeff responds to other blog posts he hasn't even read. It is comic book crack pottery at its crack potteryist. And, as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. It's here, Jeff! It's here! It's not coming anymore, it's here! Wait, eat lunch? Lunch yeah. is here? Lunch was great, actually. Was Hi! It? Hey! <laughs> How nice to talk to you. It's been, like, a... It's been a, it's been a week. week. I know, which sounds really silly for people who listen to us regularly, but, um... That, that gr- actually long for us. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Um, it sort of threw me off a little bit. Like, oh my god, it, this this time has passed already. So, uh, how are you, sir? Should do you do you have a good comics related quip? Um, I don't. I don't have a good, good comics related quip. Uh, I have read again. I've read lots of old comics and only like a handful of new comics this week. Um, so yeah, I uh, apart from the whole, have you read Avengers vs X Men? Which I suspect you haven't. I have not. Um, then yeah, I don't really have. It. Did you read Action Comics eight? I did. What did you think? Hmm. What did I think of Action Comics eight? Uh, let me. Th- I, I remember liking it. Uh, I it, I didn't have a problem with it apart from the bizarre two page promo at the end which really, like, I have no idea why that was actually in there. But, oh, no, actually, I take it back. Everything was fine until the page turn, and suddenly there were these ginormous, like, uh, I don't know I don't know how to describe them. Like, you know those, like, uh, emoticons that, that they're always sort of advertising that you can sign up for for your instant messenger service if you agree to be spammed for the rest of your life? And they look like big cartoony heads with overly emotive eyes that roll and stuff? Part of me is like, I can't work out if you're talking about a disbursement or Brad Walker uh, doing his close-up of Superman flying away. <laughs> Yes, I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a very odd, um, odd thing to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, every page of that weirdly, like some of the art was okay, but there was some uh, the the when you first turn the page and that politician is grinning that way, it really there was some weird internet art thing going on. Oh, there I, I actually kinda... really like the politician doing. I think it works, you know, it works really well as some sort of, sure. you know, satire of it's a politician. Um, but then that, when everyone else does it, well, including that's just that when it cuts mm-hmm. to Clark in Smallville talking to the grapes of his parents, and he's like, hey, everybody! Uh-huh. Um, it really is kind of like, wow, I mean, Brad Walker, like, Brad Walker's art has been really good in the backups, I've thought. And then, oh, was then, he the guy doing the art for Steel and yes, stuff like that? Yeah. Oh wow. Well. I, and then he does this, and you're kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Please never draw happy people. Please never draw <laughs> white people. I don't know what the deal is. I, I I sort of wonder if it's one of those deals where they were like, uh, you know, in in trying to get this issue finished, like they they were like, okay, well here's here's your you know here's what we're doing as a backup strip, but they. 
he got the pages really late or something like that. I, I don't know how to describe it because, yeah, there's just, I mean, there's elements where he's clearly working super hard at it. And, and it's fascinating. I mean, it really is like one of the few times, like there's maybe a handful of times where I can really count on having experienced that uncanny feeling, valley feeling while looking at a comic book. And I have to say those last couple of pages of action. Yeah, there's, really there's, some, the there's something really kind of like, Huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a shame because up until that point, I'd been loving Me too. Uh, yeah. There, there's so much in there, which I think is what mm-hmm. I really liked. It, mm-hmm. There's not just Brainiac and Metal Zero slash Metalo. There's the, all the Mr. Mixopitalic stuff. And yes. Midway through, I was like, that's who the short guy is all this time. Mm-hmm. That's who mm-hmm. the guy is who Glenn Morgan's talking about like, is the devil. Mm-hmm. It's big mm-hmm. like, oh shit! Uh, right. I, I love that. I love that Superman's costume changed depending on what he was holding and how he was feeling. Mm, I did not notice that. That is, yeah. There, uh, there's a, a there's a part where he gets um, thrown against the wall and his costume starts changing back to what he was wearing before. Oh yeah, and then he right. lifts up the spear, and when he lifts mm-hmm. up the spear, his costume entirely changes, which mm-hmm. I loved. I really, mm-hmm. really loved that. I, lo- I love the idea that his his outfit is almost, you know, psychoactive. Mm-hmm, At least mm-hmm. in that point, I, I really, I, there's so much I enjoyed about it, and then it got to the, the epilogue, and it was just like, oh, oh, I, I really don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I really did like it overall enough to where I overlooked. I felt I felt very comfortable overlooking what I thought were some really substantial flaws, and some of that was just the choice of having four art teams. Um, well, there, there's two art teams. I saw someone else say there's four art teams. There's not. There's two pencilers and two inkers. Uh, right. I'm sorry. There is. I, I guess there's that thing of like you throw in whoever's at the end there, which is probably just. Uh, you know, it. I think it's because the Rick Bryant and Bob McLeod at the end there just felt so uh, so vastly different. Um, it, apart from that art shift, that that was like my biggest problem. I think there was also um, I had a little problem going that again, maybe because I was reading it too fast, where the stuff that was going on with uh, Metallo being possessed by by Brainiac like when he was saying stuff as him and when he was saying stuff like there was one point where I was like wait a minute is that like a like I was sure that there was some some word balloons that got misassigned and had to reread it twice to be like oh okay you know I mean leave it to Grant Morrison to do the typical trope of having something fighting off dealing with an alien intelligence and therefore having that you know, alien intelligence also speaking as a separate set of word balloons, completely opposite from him, but captioned in the same way. It was really was kind of, um, it, it, I probably read it faster than was good for me or for it, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. It's one of those things where the momentum really carries it because Mm -hmm. there's nothing original in it. If that makes sense. Like the, the trope of metal zero is possessed by Brainiac and he fights Brainiac off because he wants to save the world. I mean, right. how many times have we read that story? But right. you really do just go along with it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, very much so. Uh, very much so. And then the, there were bits. I don't. I don't want to completely spoil it for people who have picked it up. But the actual uh, 
um, Superman's ultimate uh, uh, weapon to turn the tides of battle I thought was incredibly clever. Yes, I thought that was lovely. I really did. Yeah, and that that was the sort of thing of like, God, if we can just see that sort of stuff continue to be carried throughout his run or really, frankly, transferred over to the other Superman books, I would be really, really happy, you know. Um, Even though, weirdly enough, there was a way in which, under a different context... I could have found it um, – it has a little bit too much of the um, you know third act finale of the Superman movie to it. You know what I mean? It's just a little too Hollywood screenwritery. It's a little in, too clean. It, yeah, a little too clean. But in a way that I sort of liked, um, weirdly, I think probably because you know Grant Morrison's room is, is – uh, tends to be um, – not especially tidy more often. Than well, the other thing that I, I liked about that is it seemed. I feel like so much of this run has been retro, or at least a nod to the past. I mean, mm-hmm. you just have to look to the the issue titles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is quite clearly something that is very aware of the history of Superman, and so the idea that the that he wins in the way that he does mm-hmm. seems such like a Silver Age idea. Yes. They're kind of like okay, okay, right. No, I mean that's the thing that I kind of like is is that it's a very silver age idea with a very, um, with a very modern carry through of it. You know, yeah, I mean? no, like exactly. It's, it's way way more modern in that way than the stuff that I think he was doing in All Star Superman in a way. So, I I like that. I liked it a lot. No, it, it was. I have to say, I didn't pick up a lot of comics either, but I felt like it was a pretty good week for them. So. I'm kind of looking forward to to to, to chatting it out. Yeah, that's um, that's good. Um, no, the other thing I want to say about this is I love mm-hmm. the Lex Luthor joke, or what I took to be a joke about Lex Luthor joke that um, the Clark secret source has been Lex Luthor oh, yes. phone, which mm-hmm. is what Brainiac was doing to him. The suggestion being that Lex Luthor just copies things. Like <laughs> that, that's what I took from it. I took from it like it was almost a joke about Lex Luthor doesn't. It, doesn't actually invent. Oh, he steals and he copies, mm. which which I really liked. That'd be fascinating. It would be interesting to see if that carries through. I didn't pick that up. I was actually more um, amused and interested by the idea of it as a uh, as a, as a new way to sort of reframe the 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 Clark Lex relationship. You know, as something that's like a million miles away from Smallville but can still have a lot of resonances the idea that you know by by pretending to be like not even by pretending to be but by being Clark Kent he Superman is enough of a um picture perfect person of of what an ideal human should be that Lex is is essentially sort of trying to champion him in a way oh but also um, it gives uh, it not only gives Lex Luthor a secret identity of his own yes but which it, is also it great reframes the, I, the sense of betrayal mm-hmm. in a way it betraying mm-hmm. I mean it, it reinforces the whole theme of secret identities as double lives and Superman in general because mm-hmm. both of them have both of them in their other identities are loggerheads but they are quote unquote right. working together in their secret identities um, yeah. but also that because there is the they're working against each other and towards each other at the same time Mm-hmm. It really underscores the idea of betrayal that I think is at the mm-hmm. heart of the the Clark and Lex Luthor relationship all this time. Right, 
Right. Well, yeah, when you want it when you want it to work well. Yeah. There there is that element of the idea that it's personal and that there's something rooted in betrayal, I think, is, is a good idea. So yeah, I, I I I thought I thought it was really good and I thought it was really good as a setup for future stories, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Like, it, it, it's, it was an ending that made me think, I want to read more of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I generally feel that way so far with every issue of, of Morrison's action comics, even when it's something that doesn't doesn't especially resonate, you know, from issue to issue. Like, again, the Legion stuff didn't didn't really work especially well for me, but but I still enjoyed enough bits and pieces of it that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still actively rooting for this you know it'll be strange i'm not following the solicits are we jumping to modern day after this or are we going to still be in this quasi year one period we're heading to modern day but via Mm. uh, a crossover into obama superman next month again oh yeah right 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 i saw that little little uh, art for next issue and i was like huh well we'll see how that happens and i'm kind of it's really hilarious because I, I have no pretensions of being a comic book writer, but I'm kind of mad at Grant Morrison for doing alternate Earth Supermans because I mm. like one Superman idea is what if the Krypton the Superman came from wasn't this universe's Krypton? Because oh, if nice. there's alternate Earths, there's got to be alternate Kryptons. So why couldn't mm-hmm. Superman be from like, you know, Krypton 23 and Krypton 1 still exists? Ooh, well, look at how clever and elegant that would be. Um, and I, yeah, I, you know, I could just say that because, like I said, I've got no pretensions of ever writing that story. But I, right. I, I, one day I was just like, wait, <laughs> if there's right. alternate Earths. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's the alternate Earths, the alternate crypt, an alternate Krypton where Krypton didn't explode is actually a pretty keen idea because it does seem like no matter how you slice it, at some point in Superman stories, the, like, where do we get other Kryptonians always seems to come in, I think, you know? Like, uh, even even if you don't necessarily want that in there, someone's going to figure out a way to wedge open that door. And that is way more elegant than, oh, yeah, everyone forgot that they, like, put an entire city in uh, the Phantom Zone. For that matter, I think I did kind of have that moment at the end of... Um, Again, reading very quickly, I'm like, well, wait, what happened to every all those little all those cities? Are those being restored? Are those actually now all in Superman's collection, where he they're, just sort of hangs out and they've feeds got, those cities? They've got to be in Superman's collection, not only because mm-hmm. that's the you know the classic setup, but because right. Brainiac said in a previous issue that all the planets have been destroyed. Oh right, each planet had been destroyed. Right, okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not like Superman's going to be like, "Hey, and grow Kandor as well." Not, <laughs> you know, then there would have been problems. Yeah, I do love the the fact that he pushed that <laughs> that Grant Morrison pushed the idea that Brainiac, you know, is essentially a comic book collector on the and the internet. Like, yes, you know, the really two worst nightmares. When he was yeah. like, on that earth, they call me the internet. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, really? That's <laughs> genius or the worst idea in the world. And I can't quite work out which. I know. I can't either. I just I just kind of love the audacity of it. I mean, it's got something of, uh, I don't know, you know, it, it's got some of the, uh, the razzing of, you know, Jeff Johns' Superboy Prime, uh, you know, pointed towards the internet comics community, but somehow like uh, in a way that's so gloriously even less subtle, it makes it easier to just kind of, yeah, it's kind of dumber. If that makes sense. I I think so too. Superboy prime 
I, I kind of like I like Superboy Prime, but Superboy Prime mm-hmm. felt like it got meaner and meaner as the joke went on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought so because I think he he started off with an idea of like, oh, this is kind of a clever idea, and I think and I can never quite tell in part because I I don't think I I followed through Superboy Prime's you know story consistently all the way through. I skipped over all the the Legion stuff um, and probably other stories. Um, I guess in Green Lantern Corps and other things. So I, I, I don't know. It just it did strike me as that this this way is both. Um, I don't know. I guess because it's it's more one note, I guess, and a little more crass. It's easier to actually. Um, it's easier dismiss. to yeah to laugh it off. So just yeah, like, whereas oh, Superboy God. Prime, yeah. right? Well, because the thing is, is I I don't even necessarily know if Jeff Johns was actually being um, mean as much as he kind of realized how, sort of what a smart creation it was, you know? Like, he was kind of like, I think he was like, once he thought of it and played it off as a joke, he kind of went, oh, but there's all these other ways that I can push about it, you know, much farther. I can get, like, you know, I can get a parent's basement joke in here that's going to be really funny, you know? I can't, I kind of, you know, with material like that, I kind of can't blame him for not walking away. Whereas the whole Brainiac thing, like, when he says something about having the Earth mint on card or whatever it is... uh, you know, I'm I'm like, okay, that's going to be... You really can't go much farther. Yeah, exactly. Right You're done. Yeah, exactly. You're you done. Can't, you can't go anywhere with that now. You have literally just created that joke and run it into the ground in the exactly. one step. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Speaking of, and this may not... It, it's a good segue, but if you want to keep talking about action, I understand. Did you read OMAC 8? I have not read OMAC 8 yet. Really? I, I have, it's... it's uh, Short version, kid's mother's coming into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been lots of preparation for that as opposed to everything else. Right. Okay. Did you pick up the issue then or, yeah. and just haven't gotten to it? I think I'll be – we'll have to talk about it next week. No, no, I, no. Just tell me what you think because part of me is – I'm obviously going to read it anyway. But right. I, I've, it's one of those things where like you you look at the cover and you flip through and you kind of think, I'm not going to read this. I'm not going to flip through it. Eh, kind of. And I'm, I find myself – Find myself more excited about it than I expected to be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. I picked it up and I was like, Mwah. and even through the first few pages, there's one or two points where again Dan DeDio take goes kind of, <laughs> kind of mega dumb. Like there's there there are points where he's doing that thing where the captions are commenting obliquely on the action while it's happening. Um, and there's parts where he does it kind of well, and there's parts where he does it real he does it really, really badly. And then there's one point where it's just so stupid it makes you laugh. Like, uh, and I don't, I don't. Well, I will give it away. It's basically the scene where uh, where Omac is fighting somebody, and they fall out of a nose essentially. They because I guess they're <laughs> fighting inside Mount Rushmore, and so they actually fall out. You see them falling out of one of the noses on Mount Rushmore, and the caption is "Never stopping to catch my breath." And I'm just like, that's really so dumb. It's funny. <laughs> like it really is. Like I'm just going to like do this badly for the laughs of it um but that being said i i actually thought the the parts and the bits of it like the one thing that bugged me most about the book um i really felt that that they came really close to elegantly wrapping up in this issue i i thought it made for a good strong run actually i i, I really like that eighth, eighth issue of omac a lot 
Okay, well now I just want to read it more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be curious. Well, when I have the time, be like, Jeff, just you wait. <laughs> You'll rue the day. Exactly, just you wait, Lester. <laughs> no, it's it's funny because uh, when you don't have that much time. You find your like. I think it's always interesting. You find what you prioritize. Because I was like, well, I'm going to read Adventure vs X Men because I think I'm going to get work out out of it. You know, I think sure, there's going to be right. something in here. I'll write about for work, and I just couldn't not read action. Mm-hmm. And I found this when I when I hadn't been to the store for a few weeks, and I went mm-hmm. and there was like two issues of action, and lots of other things. Action mm-hmm. was the first thing I went towards. Mm-hmm. I really was just I like, I, I this is this is without realizing it, this has become my favorite comic. It it was definitely the book that I read first out of the pile of stuff that I picked up last week, uh, yesterday. And I have to say that the one book that I did not read, I mean, obviously, I read these things quickly and as we'll probably discover together, not especially well. Um, but the only book that I picked up that I did not read was I picked up the, the Secret History of D.B. Cooper, the you know, the first issue which had come out the prior week. Yeah. So that was my carryover book. Picked it up thinking I wouldn't have enough books to really read and talk about, and then somehow I didn't I didn't actually get to it. So <laughs> Oh time. Irony. Speaking of which, one of the things that I didn't mention last time because we were talking about it, uh, and people who uh, actually, um, if you went to our uh, entry for the last podcast at Savage Critic, will see I have a panel up from it. But Corey Lewis's Shark Knife Double Z is a, uh, at the very least, a noteworthy book. I thought it was a really pretty amazing um, read. I, and I was someone who was enjoyed the first volume of Shark Knife, but thought that it was kind of okay. You know, it, the first volume of Shark Knife came out such a long time ago. I remember it was one of those books that came out within like six months of Scott Pilgrim yeah it really has been like six or seven years since Shark Knife Volume 1 hasn't it yeah I mean huge it's been a hugely long time Um, because I remember I read both of them within a short period of time and uh, you know in my cold hearted mean spirited uh, internet way had um, thought that Warren Ellis had backed the wrong horse because he had he'd written a short little entry where he was talking about like oh fight comics, you know, like here's an interesting thing that's coming out. Comics that are just fight comics that that have a lot of, uh, you know, zest and zing to them. And he mentioned uh, Brian Lee O'Malley's Scott Pilgrim Volume 1 and he mentioned Shark Knife. And Shark Knife was the one that he made kind of a lot of noise about. Like, I, and I honestly think because Ellis at the time had not read Scott Pilgrim, although maybe he hadn't been especially struck by it until later. Uh, but well, I, I I can actually see that because I, I I love Scott Pilgrim and I love the first volume, but I can also see how people wouldn't, if that makes sense. Hmm. I think I think the first volume is definitely definitely the weakest. Well, I would probably agree with you, although I don't know. Volume three, I think, is is a really rocky transition. I think I would be really hard pressed. I have the two. I have the strangest feeling. Volume three is my favorite volume. I'm going to have to look up which one's volume three. Isn't volume volume three is the I am sad so very very sad sort of well oh god no I I think that was my favorite volume (laughs) really Graham oh my god ah okay well once again you and I are comic book loggerheads (laughs) I'm actually googling the cover this is how I'm this is I'm going to check I'm looking up the Mm -hmm. cover right now to see if it is yeah I want to say that volume three is my favorite volume wow well I am uh. Really? Because I'm like... The, volume 6 is my favorite volume now, but definitely right. when it was ongoing, Volume 3 was my favorite volume. 
Yeah, I thought that Volume 3 was the messiest volume. I thought he borked his, uh, if nothing else, he borked his scene transitions. Like, part of that was coloring and stuff. But, I, you know, it's got significant flashback stuff to his life falling apart um, back way back when, I think, with N.B. Adams. And it just, it didn't quite come together. I mean, I think it works within the context of the series in that it's a... Uh, it it perfectly sets up the stuff that that happens, uh, it, especially in later f- in volume five, I think. But yeah, I didn't I didn't think it was. I I think that it in its way is because it's so much more ambitious. Um, it's it's actually clumsier uh, than than the others than the other volumes. And I didn't I I didn't like it as much. I thought it was a step backward. I'd have to reread to see if I'm right about. Well, that's just it. I never want to reread it to see if I was wrong. <laughs> No, you're probably right. We should, probably we should right, both reread but... it and then see if we flip. Oh, man, that would be hilarious. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've still got them on my shelf. There's no reason why. Wait, do I have them on my shelf? Um, no, I don't. I only have volume six. Well, I will have to hunt up the other volumes. And yeah, maybe we should do that. We should start making lists of since Graham and since Jeff is not reading Marvel, we will talk about dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, um, here's a question talking about Scott Pilgrim. How do you feel about the colored editions coming out? You know, it's. I'm glad you asked because I had to bite my tongue about it. I, which means I guess I'm 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 actually really annoyed that you asked. I, I kind of I kind of think that it's sort of a jerk move myself. Yeah, I, I, here's the thing. I think I think the same. I, I <laughs> at first I was like, that's great. Scott Pilgrim's coming out, color edition. I love those books. And then I was kind of like, wait. So they're coming out as bigger color editions that are hardcovers and will have extra material. I don't know. It just feels too soon, I guess. Or yeah, or like you should put books together so it's more than one volume or something. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, yeah, maybe if it was some sort of crazy like the the because it's only two volumes in one, right? No, it's it's not just one volume. It's, it's, is it? Is it literally not volume to volume? No, uh, maybe it is. I have maybe strange it is. just feeling that it is. Hang on. Okay, well, if that's the, the case, I thought it was, for some reason, I thought it was two for one. Let's so. see. Where's the. Okay. Yeah, no, I think it's the original volume. Yeah, it's the first of six hardcover reprints. So it's a volume to oh, volume. Oh, Jesus God. Okay, so it's volume to volume. In that case, I have to say I'm even more annoyed by it. Um, I, You know, I don't mean to uh, – I worry that that I'm basis, basing this on grounds for essentially um, – I'm docking Brian Lee O'Malley points for, for being uh, candid – but, you know, I do remember because I was following him and his site and Twitter and blah, blah, blah. You know, hell, is probably even before Twitter now that I think about it. Uh, you know, following him closely enough that I was really aware these books are meant to be in black and white. You know, he was like, ah, they're not, they're not, they weren't intended for color, you know. And the idea that they're putting color in them, like, they can dress that up all they want. But the fact is, is that it's unnecessary. You know, that it's kind of like, uh, well, we need it to be able to move into, um, you know, another direction with it. And and I'll be honest, I know there are people who could actually point to something like uh, Jeff Smith's Bone, which was also designed for black and white and then later on went back and got recolored, that it's a very similar thing. 
I think there is part of me that feels like there was a good distance of time between, well, maybe not, um, between the scholastic recolorings. I, I don't know. It just, I, it just, to me, it it feels like we don't have anything big on the horizon. Here's how we're going to milk. It feels like a milking of the franchise to me. Well, and it, I just, it, here's the thing. It feels like a milking of the franchise to me as well. It feels like a cash grab, but mm-hmm. it feels like an entirely unnecessary one because I think Oni is actually in really good shape right now. I think T.B. Cooper's really good. Uh, the oh, what's it called? Bad medicine. Mm-hmm. Whatever they're, it's actually being trailed in the back of some of their books this month. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about, I don't know. There's just something about the fact that it's the same publisher in a more expensive format that does not make it analogous to the Bone thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The Scholastic Editions were a different publisher, right? In a cheaper format. For a di- for a different market. For a different market. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, and and I think it's I don't want to feel like that. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Like, it's and such I was, goodwill mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for Oni and for Brian Lee O'Malley and for Scott Pilgrim that mm-hmm. I want to just celebrate it. And instead, I find myself being like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> right now, I'm kind of I I feel my my affection for this thing being somewhat mitigated. Um, although, although in weird ways, I think I I don't want to admit it, but I was already kind of along that w- path. Like there was a point where I just once I decided to unfollow Brian Lee O'Malley on Twitter, uh, was kind of this weird turning point for me. I just kind of got like I can see why he's doing what he's doing, but I I really sh- I really should have ju- that was one of those cases where I should have jumped off his Twitter feed a lot sooner. You know? Really? Why? What? What? Well, maybe I'm wrong, but I, 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 well, you might not be missing anything. Actually, I think that I think that O'Malley is a an incredibly um, clever and smart guy, and his stuff gets retweeted, and I'm like, oh right, he's really funny. And I think, in a way, what he's doing more often than not was kind of. Um, I just felt like there was this weird feedback loop that I wasn't where it was like on his Twitter, he spent a lot of time, like talking about how much he didn't want to talk about Scott Pilgrim, I guess. You know what I mean? And kind of making sour comments about the comics industry one week, and then the next week making sour comments about people who make sour comments about the industry, and then the week after that making sour comments about himself for making sour comments about... And then and then it would just restart over. I just... It, I, it felt... He felt like an incredibly clever guy who I thought was processing some sour, trying to process some sour grapes in an, in an incredibly clever way that kind of annoyed and un- discomforted me. Like, I just ended up being annoyed by some of the stuff that popped up in his Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and you know, it, weirdly enough, it was kind of that I, as long as I'm being openly confessional, I had to unfollow Hope Larson for the same way, reason, where it just kind of felt like there was a lot of um, negativity for reasons that I didn't really understand. Like, like, I wasn't seeing the whole context for things, apparently, but it just felt like there was a lot of complaining about stuff in a way that, that felt weirdly quasi-entitled. And I, I was just like, I, so it kind of, I, that, that was the point where I was kind of like, I think I need to take a few steps away um, and just kind of forget about this. So when the work comes out, I can actually just appreciate the work on its own grounds, mm-hmm. you know? So, and consequently there was this weird follow through with the Scott Pilgrim stuff of like, I was like, 
I don't know. It, 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 just a lot of stuff about it that just kind of, kind of. I think to to give O'Malley the benefit of the doubt, I also feel like a lot of the stuff that he was doing, like when he released the um, the Valentine's Day art of the of the Scott Pilgrim characters in their underwear. Yeah. I suppose. Like, I guess I would have found that really charming if I had not been if I hadn't spent a year following his Twitter where he was basically, you know. Um, making jokes about how he was never going to go back and, and draw Scott Pilgrim for a while, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it just kind of felt... Um, I started feeling like there were strings attached to, to the stuff that was coming down the pike, you know? In a, in a, it's funny, because you, you saying this has just put me in mind of something that I hadn't thought about before. Now, now it's just, like, completely in my head. Is this... Hopefully it's something like, you're an asshole, Jeff Lester. Is this like when Warren Ellis went, uh, just announced he was writing Ultimate Fantastic Four after, you know, four years of saying that he'd never write superheroes again and superheroes were dumb? Maybe. I Maybe. Because I'm thinking, when that happened, I, I lost respect for Warren Ellis, which is silly. Mm-hmm. I don't know him. Mm-hmm. But it really was just like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. And there, there is an element of that with the, the Scott Pilgrim thing, I think. Right, right. Where it's like well, you've been, t- you know, you've been talking about how you're, you're, you know, you're getting past that, and you're making fun of people who link you and Scott Pilgrim together. Yes. and then you go back to the well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It. It. It kind of. It kind of does this like. And, and there's also kind of a weird. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, Ellis, of course, I, I remember following him and there was degrees of like, you know, sort of defensiveness and, you know, like, hey, don't don't hold my previous statements, you know, uh, against me kind of thing, you know, um, you know, because this is a tough marketplace. But there is kind of a feeling of like, yeah, I can't I can't really imagine. Maybe these guys are all hurting for money to the point where it seems like a good idea. I mean, you know, in in the statement on it, I think O'Malley sounded a little disingenuous. Where he was like, "Well, I was I was kind of opposed by it, but then I saw what this one guy was doing, and it just seemed like such a good idea that we should go forward with it." And then later admits that he was one of several guys who'd been auditioning for it. You know what I mean? So it was this thing of like, "Well, it's not like he emailed you guys out of the blue with this proposal, and you just loved it or something." You know. Um, but again, I'm also and, – and we'll see if we end up talking about both last week's community episode and that, that blog that I um, – post that I sent your way earlier. But uh, I, I don't want to necessarily end up holding people against them for being honest on the internet because I feel like that's going in the wrong direction, I suppose. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about that blog post right now. But before you do that, because you said something about being honest on the internet and because you said community, did you see Dan Harmon's blog post about the Chevy Chase thing? I did. I did. Um, although I'm trying to think uh, – I think you should talk about it because I don't think it struck me as much as some of the other stuff that was going on with community. So the, the short version of this story – and correct me if I'm missing something out here, Jeff – is that Chevy Chase, relationships between Chevy Chase and Dan Harmon, the showrunner of Community, seem to have plummeted to the ground and then through the ground at, at incredible speed. Mm. Um, and Chevy Chase apparently walked, was it he walked off set early? On uh, episode? I, I didn't quite understand what the exactly what was going on with that part of it. Yeah, because there's so many, like, 
trail like wheels within wheels is that makes it that really seems like a last straw situation my understanding is <laughs> sort of the way that Harmon talks about it in his blog entry is that Harmon performs in Los Angeles he played a voicemail that Chevy Chase left for him that referred back to <clears throat> the community rap party where Dan Harmon you know, suggested that everyone give a hearty fuck you to Chevy Chase in front of Chevy's wife and daughter. That itself rotated around back to the fact that supposedly Chase himself walked off the set on the final shooting when there were two scenes left that they had to shoot around him. They, they had to have with him in the shot. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've been following community, but I also think I'm half wondering if some of those scenes are related to the possibility of of, of setting up Pierce's non-return, which may have been part of the reason why well, I think if, Chevy Chase might have walked. But if they were doing that, would they not have done that last year? Last well, year was the one right. where it kind of seemed like they were writing him out. Because this yes. year even had the, do we let him back in the group? And it yes. seems like unless you're actually going to kill him, I feel like you can't then go, I know last year we voted to let him back in this group, but this year, after he hasn't done anything as bad as he did last year, we've changed our minds. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. that That's going to seem like a really big hole in logic. But, and this still isn't talking about Dan Harmon's blog post, part of me wonders if this is all like some weird shell game publicity. Mm, because the details as they're coming out don't make sense. Hmm. Please tell me more. Well, according... Okay, so... Harmon... The voicemail that Chevy Chase left for Harmon. Yes. That was apparently... After Chevy Chase was told to fuck... Uh, Chevy Chase was told to fuck you in front of his family at the rap party. Yes. According to Harmon's blog post, he did that months ago. He played that at a show months ago. Now, mm. community has not been wrapped for months. Mm. Mm. Are you sure? I I only mention that because one of the things that, that, that the publicity and community has talked a lot about is the fact that they they continued to film while they were on their long hiatus and essentially did their seven episodes without any sort of audience feedback whatsoever. See, I and I, I could be wrong here, but I was under the impression that when the show came back, they were still shooting the finale. That could be. That could be. Which which uh, would really make it like a month ago at most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. In, in which case, right, it, Harmon's comment doesn't actually hold up. Because he's talking about, you know, he, he's talking as if, because months ago is what, January? Mm-hmm. And they would, have, they would still be shooting then, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I like it just I don't know if Harmon's like massaging things about where this was recorded, right, or not, or whether the initial reports are wrong and it's actually not a voicemail relating to what it's supposed to be a voicemail relating to because it's all I mean the whole thing is gossip, the whole thing is people going I heard it's this did you hear that he apparently said this well what about what he do you know what I mean like so yes it's a, it's all bullshit, right but. What has leaked does not all fit together, which makes mm-hmm. me wonder if there's a I gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to do a fake, I'm so pissed off at you know actor X, it's going to be Chevy Chase because he's got the reputation. Sure. And yeah, it fits definitely. with the, and it fits with his character as well. 
I don't know. The only thing that makes me think that it might not be a fake out was apparently mm-hmm. Chevy Chase gave an interview to shit the LA Times maybe he gave an interview to someone before all mm-hmm. this broke where he pretty much mm-hmm. was like yeah it's it's a shittily written show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's the only part that makes me think oh it's it's not some ridiculous fake out right right no I, I I I don't know I'm ten I tend to believe that it's not a fake out because I just kind of think that but but maybe it is certainly Harmon's been pretty sensible in a way about um you know, for putting a show on, he 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 likes playing with all the stuff that they taught him in showrunner school. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to have a, a you know wedding episodes rate well. We're going to have a we're going to have a wedding episode. We're going to have a holiday episode. You know, spring break episodes. You know, so yeah, maybe maybe the you know contra- having a, having meta controversy is something that he's he's perfectly happy with. Yeah, I don't know, but then then you read the blog posts to get mm-hmm. get all the way back to what I, I initially brought up. Yes. And I just reading the blog posts, I was just I felt bad for him, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was one of those oh, we're totally intruding in his in a, a private event. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling at least I did. I got the feeling from his blog post which because people have pointed out that you and I talk about these things and never give links, is at danharman.tumblr.com. Um, where he basically is just like, I fucked up. I am. I am a retard. I am. I am socially awkward. I do not know how to do this. This is not funny. This is me not being good at life. Have you read any of his other blogs? Yes. And this, okay, because I'm about this, to say this one. The, yeah, was... this, is, this is not unusual. It's not mm-hmm. unusual for him to be like, I suck at everything. I mean, when yeah. he, he broke up with his girlfriend, that was just harrowing See, to read. That's the one where I think that for me, like, this is this, this is kind of A, part of why I think it's not especially feigned, and, and B, why the post I thought was kind of a walk in the park almost, is the stuff that was going on that he was talking about breaking up with his girlfriend and the where's and the why's of it and who he was, I thought was so... Um, painful for you know just reading it and how much pain he would be and how like the term painfully candid like he owned that term you know and i thought that that was like one of those things that uh i don't know i guess gives me a certain amount of like yeah i don't really think that he would necessarily lie about this stuff because and, and I don't know where that trails off. Like that weird thing of like, I feel like he's, you know, like he's well, been so like, candid yeah, with exactly. before. He's been you know? so honest and he's been so raw and I feel like I know him now because of this. Right. And there's a right. sense of like, he was, he's not going to lie to me. Right. I, I was there for him when he was telling me as a stranger what it was like when his girlfriend left him. Right. Uh, exactly. But it, but it's, a, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's. I am I am naturally suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Um, but okay, let's let's talk about this Icebreaker Lounge blog post. Yeah, this is a perfect I think this jump. Really ties in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so did you get emailed this link or did you find it? Uh, I found it in in the sense that um, uh, people that we follow on Twitter, uh, Jamal Thirty. And who's I? I'm going to. I'm actually like oh, I don't know his name. And uh, Tater Pie uh, actually had t- retweeted the link for it. And actually, the guy Steve K who wrote the post 
uh, all-star matches is somebody who I was following on Twitter and vice versa. So I somehow missed his original post about it. And he didn't even send it my way going like, hey, you guys are talked about. You know, It was just one of those things that sounded kind of interesting that I clicked on and then kind of had the eyebrow-raising like, moment of... Oh, that's me. Right, exactly. Which really does have that great moment of like, well, wait a minute, how much of the rest of this is really about us or all about us or how much are we responsible for? And um, I'm not really quite sure how we're going to be able to both lay it out uh, in a responsible way uh, since, since we just found out about it this this morning and my, my, my thoughts aren't really composed about it, how we're going to both let the readers know kind of what it's – sum up what it's about because there's a lot of topics covered in it and – and also parse out my own feelings because there's ways in which I have a lot of like very defensive like, oh, well, that's not me or wait, that's me or and, and that's kind of beside the point, you know, which is really hilarious because the blog post is called You Probably Think the Song is About You uh, and, and it's and, very uncomfortable. Yeah, thanks for that matches because I, I honestly, after I read this post, I had that song in my head for like half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Carly Simon's royalties, mental royalties. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. You've just actually pitched a really creepy science fiction novel, Graham. You should just uh, <laughs> crank that one out. Uh, um, so, yes. Uh, so, so Steve K's post talks about how he, he's been on the comics internet for about 20 years and talks about how the last six months have been kind of brutal for interaction on the internet between creators and fans creators uh as he puts it creators sniping at fans fans sniping at creators creators sniping at each other marvel and dc officially recognized as co-satans fans officially recognized as knuckle-dragging trolls and uh and he's mainly taking the time to sit down and sort of pick apart the the common i guess common defense for this is is that it's we're currently there's some very stressful times generally and especially an unfuture a certain future uh for the industry at this point but his his jumping off point is is that again 20 years ago when he was first getting involved on the internet and the usenet it was far more um I guess a, a far less bare knuckle uh, brawly, I suppose, despite the fact that the industry was actually in a much scarier time and in a much bigger toilet uh, than it, many people would say that it currently is now. Mm-hmm. So uh, he runs through a list of, of points. Uh, and for those who, who, again, I was going to put the link in it, but I think Graham's being very smart. If you go to icebergloungeblogspotcom the um, the entry is called. You probably think the song is about you, and I don't know, unfortunately, how often Steve updates. So by the time you hear it, this you may have to scroll down a little bit. But he pretty much goes through kind of a list of ways in which people on the internet are acting in. He doesn't use this term at all, by the way, but kind of acting in bad faith. And um, and we get mentioned in it uh, in a way that I think is kind of at our. Uh, uh, sort of the perfect part in that he sort of takes us to task for our um, essentially complaining about the the Watchmen and before Watchmen situation, uh, as, especially I think because I feel this was something that I spent a lot of time talking about the fact that that Moore was not given any um, opportunities um, to rewrite 
contracts that you know were legally binding but ethically iffy and then of course i later shoot down and ignore the fact that that's exactly what was offered to him later pre before watchmen so but i think that's the least of it to me than some of the other stuff going on here which is whether it's the comment about spending too much far too far more time on the inside baseball part of the biz than actually reading and discussing comics uh, you're not very good at allowing things you don't like to exist. You treat the present as if it is the pinnacle of history rather than just another moment in time. Again, these are things that Steve is not, I hope, uh, explicitly addressing to us uh, distinctly. <laughs> although, I, uh, When I was reading it, I did not take it as explicitly addressing it to us as much as making a wider statement about comics internet as a, a mass mind. I agree. I agree. Uh, it has to be said, I feel you're more ambivalent about this than I am because I pretty much read it and thought, you're right. For, for almost all of it, with the exception of mm-hmm. the um, Steve Wacker, David Brothers thing at the end. I think that's the, yeah. one, that's the one thing I was like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. But, but all, like, honestly, the rest of it, I was pretty much like, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. I, I think there is a lot of uh, presumption. Mm-hmm. going on an assumption going on mm-hmm. uh, and I think that one of the negative things about comics internet and internet in general mm-hmm. is the idea that because this media because social media has become democratized mm-hmm. then all media has become democratized and right. that we all know more than we actually do and I think mm-hmm. he makes a really good point where he's essentially saying you have no idea how much these publishers are making or how much they're spending on right. anything, like how much of their health insurance costs. I think that's right. a great point. I think there really is a tendency to rush to judgment based upon who's in the top ten. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, uh, based on who's in the top ten, you think? Watson. Yeah, I, no, I, th- I would say who's in the top ten, yeah. Based upon the Marvel have been absent for a couple of months, and everyone was like, well, that's it for Marvel. Right. I don't know. I, I I think there really was a. This means more than it actually means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going on, which is let's face it, not uncommon. Right. Yeah, I think unfortunately the problem that is that is hard for me with this special entry is just the idea, as usually happens, is if you're going to make. Um, kind of a, a a list of things i suppose that that people that people are doing wrong on the internet i can see where there's areas where um it'll like it'll never be inapplicable i suppose it's just you know you're talking about a lot of people so i think there are times when i think that there are, there are things on here that are more that's more applicable to a larger mass of the comics internet than at other times you know um, and and definitely for myself, it the the you know the one that I'll uh, you know get so fired up that you lose sight of what it is you're complaining about. I'll definitely own up to um, spending a lot of time on inside baseball. I mean, Lord knows we certainly do. I don't. <laughs> that's I don't, that's kind of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But there are things. I think I think Wacker was the one that was kind of a sticking point, and it actually did make me kind of think about. Um, uh, the Steve Wacker thing uh, made me think about the, the thing that I think that maybe Steve K misses for me, s- separate and apart from just trying to say to him, 
uh, no, you, I think you're just wrong, <laughs> is the idea that, that, that a, a third option might be that um, interactions on the internet, I think, uh, and this is how I was going to tie it into, did you see last week's episode of Community? I did. Yet? I, I honestly can't remember what it was now, but I definitely saw it. That is so funny. Um, oh, no, it was it was the um, Blanket Fort and the, the Pillow Fort. Blanket Fort and Pillow Fort, but also the other, the other story, which is the one that I thought was hilarious, is Subway opens up a store in the college, and because it has to be owned by a, a student, they essentially have a corporal humanoid in place, a guy who's actually traded his identity away for three years for pay in exchange to literally become the living embodiment of Subway, his name Subway, and he, he's supposed to embody all the healthy values that Subway uh, embodies. He's a corporal humanoid who has no life or identity of his own, and of course he and Britta end up starting up uh, an affair. Um, because, the, in part, because the machinations of of Pierce and Shirley, but also because there's kind of a, a great riff on Orwell's 1984. Um, actually, I don't know if it's necessarily that great a riff on 1984. It's taking ideas from 1984 and spinning them in creepy new ways. Uh, I, I yes, my first thought about that mm-hmm. plot was, you know, that Subway have actually paid for that, and then. They just fuck Subway so badly in that episode. Fucking awesome. It, it is really was so amazing. It? Yeah, it was great. Because, I mean, there is that way of, um, you know, be, because actually the Subway people are, are shown as being almost more or less reasonable. And, of course, it's Pierce being super crazy and surely going along with it. Like, everything goes too far because of them. You know, it, I mean, I, I'm impressed that they did get away with it. Don't get me wrong. I, I That was part of the part that I was in awe of it. But one of the things that I realized afterwards was um, I was kind of like, well, that's going to be as far as they're ever going to be able to take corporate sponsorship, you know, to, to basically bite the hand that's feeding them in such an astonishingly brilliant and clever way. But also um, it felt like, uh, it felt almost kamikaze savage, if that makes sense. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being any potential corporate sponsor of looking at community now and thinking yeah this is gonna work right do you know what i mean like it really was it was going for broke Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah which and i i i adore that i mean i do wonder of course like well yeah they're gonna have some problems if taco bells but maybe not i don't i don't necessarily know because because all of it became so silly and over the top, the great thing that is going on about it is because there are there aren't anything. There's no corporo humanoids currently in existence, um, and this is where my thoughts were essentially leading in regards to this blog post. Uh, there was going to be no way that that Subway, you know, if like Subway was going to complain, they're like, "What? That you're? Are you going to say there's actual an imaginary program that where you're actually putting people in with their names?" I think that's pretty easy to refute. So, which brings me finally in my roundabout way to this to the point is, I think that sometimes part of what's hard about interacting on the internet is you are actually interacting with corporal humanoids. They're just not named. Marvel, you know what I mean? They're named, you know, Steve Wacker or Ryan Pentagos or Agent M. Or if you're lucky and you actually do get to know them through the social media, 
probably are happy to throw back a beer and have a, a quote unquote genuine experience with you, you know, but without actually saying it, there is a, there either is a tacit understanding that there's only so much candor that creators, editors, and employees of these companies are allowed to have um, in interacting with the rest of us, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that actually leads to weird bad faith conflicts, you know, on both both parts. Either what you get is you, you have people who aren't aware of those boundaries and essentially end up talking to... I don't know, Steve Wacker or Axel Alonso, exactly like they're their buddies in the comic book clique, and when our talking shit about Marvel, we'll talk it directly to them, you know, and not be essentially um, smart about this. Or essentially the frustration ends up building, you know, as you have conversations with people where you feel that either either the person ends up being incredibly disingenuous or you end up feeling like the person is incredibly disingenuous and you know basically hostilities emerge you know no i th- i think you're entirely right so i i, I just kind of had that moment in reading steve's k thing of going wow i wonder if there's a way in which we're not really in which the way in which we interact there's a lot of um, unspoken nuances that lead to a lot of these conflicts that we're not necessarily aware of, you know, not and not necessarily in this this list where it's like, oh yeah, someone's acting, uh, you know, just goes on a, a message board and naively posts, thinking that they're not going to get the reactions that they're going to get, which you know, n- especially not being true, I think, in the particular case that Steve K cites, I think I think there's a way in which by having people in there who can't interact with you honestly, it ends up creating more of an us versus them division than you think well, no, exactly. either I, side wants. I think know? when he says the biggest mistake Steve Walker made in that whole exchange in fourth letter was that he showed up in the first place. I think he's right, but I don't think he's right for the reasons he says. He, he then goes, goes on to explain. Because what he essentially mm-hmm. says is He's trying, you know, Steve Wagner showed up and he tried to, you know, be sarcastic and discern the situation and people didn't get a sense of humor. And I don't think that's what happened at all. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. I, I really don't. I mean, considering his appearances on our our message comment threads on seeing him pop up on other boards. Well, that's just on, it. Like Steve Wagner yeah. shows up anywhere he's mentioned. Mm-hmm. And sure, he must have a fucking great Google search alert for his name. Yeah, he's you know I mean? got it tailored. He's got Google mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but he, he shows up to be disingenuous as opposed to engage. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that's the problem because he's essentially showing up to cause shit and, mm-hmm. and not – like purposely not to deal with the subject. And that's the problem. And it's not just Steve Wacker before anyone thinks that I'm picking on Steve Wacker. Other people no. do this as well. Other comic yeah. professionals do this as well. Yeah, where it's not that they're trying to disarm the situation; it's that they're just trying to destroy the situation, right? By going shiny thing, shiny thing. Even if shiny thing is, I'm being an idiot and I'm getting your attention by being a jerk. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sort of I'm sort of throwing all this into tumult, or uh, or to put it another way, 
Um, to me, when those people show up, because you already know that there's a level of distance required for for them, the, that they have to distance themselves for you from you for various reasons, it's very easy to ascribe their their uh, their their motives as a you know as a not us kind of way i suppose i don't know i so that was my thing i still think there's a lot in there that's worth reading and a lot of really great stuff about it oh I, I i think it's a really really good post i, I really yeah. think people should read it yeah it's one of those things where it is again for people listening definitely check it out iceberg lounge dot blogspot dot com it's the april 5th entry you probably think the song is about you it's got a lot of great stuff i think as a jumping off point to talk about um how we comport ourselves on the internet and by we i mean you know <laughs> graham and i since we're mentioned in it uh but also really everyone on both on both sides of the fence um so uh, and I, I don't think that I have any a special point that I really wanted to pick out apart from the the whole scary corporal humanoid factor that we've got going on uh, these days on, on on Twitter and in social media itself that 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 even if it doesn't intend to blurs that ends up creating havoc I think. Okay, I've got a question for you. Sure. Does this only happen in comics? Um, it you know. It's in, well. This is the other thing that I actually wanted to point out is is that I now that you mentioned that I do think that it's it, that all eras areas of the internet have become more fractious as far as I can, am concerned. Like you see, um, there's people who talk on, for example, Goodreads, which is someplace I don't especially go very often, but I'm trying to pay more attention to uh, about authors who react badly to reviews left for them on Amazon or on the net, um, you know, where, uh, you know, I, I, of course, I, I think last time we talked about stuff like this, I brought up politics, which you pointed out was a very low bar to, to, to clear. But honestly, I can't, I mean, you really can't read a fucking um, newspaper article on the internet without looking at the comments thread and just seeing what seems like, you know, a pit of, you know, savages, like, jamming one another in the eye sockets with, like, fucking shin bones that they ripped off of somebody else. Like, I don't... it. I, I don't think that it is especially um, limited to just the comics internet. My, I think my problem with it is, is because uh, the comics internet may be such a relatively small teapot it seems like it's easier to tip it over Mm -hmm. you know and also i think that for the majority of it i think by the time you get to the stage of if you care enough about comics to internet to 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 interact on the internet you are i feel and maybe this is completely wrong i feel for the most part like you really are trying to interact in a way that means that you care about the the industry and or the medium you know yeah that's the thing that i am always kind of surprised about the idea that people and by people i really mean comic book professionals mm-hmm. seem to think that people who are on the comics internet as we laughingly call it mm-hmm. are there only to be haters mm-hmm and I think I think that's wrong because I think if you're mm-hmm. literally just a hater, if you had no love, 
then you wouldn't care. You wouldn't be there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the people who criticize Marvel the most are the people who want it to be better. Mm -hmm. And it's easy and the same with everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think think as a general rule of thumb, uh, a lot of the people who don't are the people who, who, yeah, who really don't care, who don't care about Marvel, who don't necessarily care about DC or, you know, or care about the state of the big two, you know, and have moved on to other things, which really does seem like a safer bet in some ways. It really does seem like, well, you know, like we've got a steady stream of comic book reprint, strip reprints coming out here. I could probably spend the next eight years burying myself in those. And, you know, hopefully the marketplace will continue to do just fine, you know. I, I and I don't I don't really know. I there's there's this weird level of how much of a participant in that discussion I wanna be. I keep obviously, as everyone's aware, this last year I seem to be bouncing around a lot on. Um but but yeah, I think it's absolutely silly. I don't I never I don't know. I mean, I, again, it gets into that weird area of I th- not trying to talk about trying to talk about other people, but not talk about myself. I do think that generally there's a lot of people there who 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 are there because they care, you know. And one of the things that's hard is everyone gets lumped into the same mass, you know. Suddenly, you know, somebody who writes for Comics Alliance is exactly the same as somebody who is posting anonymously. Uh, you know, on a bleeding cool forum, you know. Yeah, yeah. And all all shit. of a sudden, everyone is a hater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the same thing. It's like everyone across the board, you know. Or if you're actually doing it because it's a blog, all of a sudden it's different. No, you're just doing it for the hits. Like, you know, like the majority of people writing for the comics internet are actually doing it for the money, you know, which is an amazing concept that anyone. <laughs> I, that, but if you knew how much the comics internet paid, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. Pay, if you knew how much the paying comics internet paid, never mind the rest of the comics internet, you know? Like, if you if you work hard, you can be part of a steady elite that is slowly starving to death on ramen and old <laughs> potatoes. So. Those old potatoes are lovely, Jeff. <laughs> if you keep them for long enough, they'll grow new potatoes on their outside and you just eat those. Wow, that is brilliant. I, that is something that I did not know, Graham. Thank you. That is, there's a pro tip, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yeah, gardening tip tips. <laughs> gardening tips from Wade Watt. Gardening with Graham. Uh, so, so is this a fine time to talk about Casanova? Then did you did you read it? I've not. I've not read <gasps> Casanova. I'm, no, I Holy know. Shit. I know. To be honest, I actually forgot to pick up Casanova altogether. <gasps> what the? I just, I just, I just didn't see the stores when the things were came home, and I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> okay, tell me about Casanova, though. Um, I just thought it'd be a good segue. I read it. I actually, I quite liked it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was more like issue two than it was like issue one. Um, I wish that it hadn't come so long on the heels of the previous issue. Uh, and I really look forward to talking with you about it when you have read it, because I feel like it's one of those classic situations where you're going to be picking up uh, a, a larger chunk of the references than I am. You know, one of the things that I did like, oh, wait, wow, I actually, interestingly enough, I skipped over a page too. That's really funny. Um, that is the problem with a book like Casanova, is you can actually 
turn the pages and two pages stick together and you suddenly you're in the middle of another scene and it makes perfect sense to you that that would happen. Like there is this element of like, Oh, that didn't add up. But looking at it now, I see that there's a very important, potentially very important scene that I missed here, uh, with Cass and the attractive green naked lady. Um, there's a Ryan slave woman in there. Yes, there is. Didn't you notice, Graham? It's uh, no. What's her name? The the woman that Casanova's been uh, sleeping with. Yes, uh, Sasalisi. Is that okay? Thank you. Is that not her name? Is her name not Sasalisi? Or is that yeah, yeah, yeah it one? is. It is, isn't it? And, well, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's but I'm very bad at these names. This name thing, especially where this book's concerned. So, uh, so I think you'll you'll uh, I it. There are things in it that I, that every once in a while I'm like, oh, fraction, you know, you've got this way of like throwing in like he's still running through sort of a lot of his favorite stuff is working back in here. Like he's got a moment that he he openly cribs from a Seiyun Suzuki movie and he he mentions it quite specifically. So um, weirdly enough, I think I was more annoyed by him hanging a lantern on it and calling it out than passing it off you know, wholesale, Mm -hmm. which is weird because that clearly, if you'd asked me two months ago, which I would have preferred, I would have set stated it the other way around. But I honestly, I thought it was a very lovely issue. Um, I find myself really nervous about it. I mean, this is the funny thing. Mm -hmm. When I did my Twitter comics for uh, robot sex this week, I specifically mentioned Casanova and then I completely, I just completely forgot it was coming out. (laughs) It's it's, it's like when I did Fiddle Comics, I completely forgot that Avengers vs. X-Men was coming out this week because it's wow. not on the shipping list. Oh, right, because it shipped last week, whatever. which is how it manages to be the number one book of March, which I think is hilarious. Man. Oh, Have you seen man. that? It tops the chart for March, even though it came out like in April. <laughs> I love that. Um, anyway, I was really, really nervous about it because I had such an extreme reaction between issue one and issue two. Right. I was kind of like, you know, ideally it'll be much more like issue two, but if it's like issue one, you know, what am I, I'm just going to buy issue four and think that it's like Star Trek movies, you know, what what am I going to do? I really do see it, and I could be wrong, as a as a synthesis of of the two, of issues, yeah, of the two, that, that he takes, that there's certainly hints that where this issue ends up is a blending of the sort of depression and nihilism of the first issue and the sort of pep and pop and optimism of the second issue. Well, like that's, it, it's sort that's of, probably what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's a good balance. And I think I have a suspicion that it's, it's absolutely the right place for the, for the storyline to be and where the character is going. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that you'll have that same sort of, uh, you know, bad reaction that you did to the to the first issue. And there's just a lot of stuff where, I mean, again, at this point, I'm like, it's just fucking lovely. Of course, I realize now I'm like, why am I like buying this in the shop instead of cheaper digitally? Well, that, that's just it. Like, because if it's one ninety nine digitally, I might not even get it at the shop next week. I might just. Right. Mm, we'll see. Because it's, it's the difference not one ninety nine to four ninety nine. I don't remember if it's one ninety nine to four ninety nine or two ninety nine to four ninety nine. Either way, but that's a chunk. Yeah, it, it is. It is a chunk. So, um, uh, yeah. If all so you're yeah, missing is the back matter. Then I think that's it. You know, I think I can handle that. 
Right. And the back matter is um, is largely his little intro about, you know, uh, thoughts about digital comics and then uh, a number of people writing in about digital and pirating and Casanova and the value of digital comics. And stuff. Oh, so you see, so. Darwin. Now I'm like, well, I, I might want to read that. Damn it. <laughs> Just keep me on the line there, Graham. You really are. Uh, like, uh, mm-hmm. I, for a second, I thought it was going to be, you know, four pages of him explaining why the book is late and why it doesn't really matter but you know he's so sad and life is so hard etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah no he actually skips skip that. that yeah yeah no this is this in this sense if there was more of it is my only thing is, is i think he has a very brief amount of words where he talks about digital and the value of digital um and i think if he had more of it i think you'd be okay um i read hell yeah issue two I'm going to move through some more of these books, I guess, that I've read, and we can sort of... Please do. ...come things that way. Do you think? Okay. Uh, hell yeah, number two. Again, I I love Joe Kading. Uh He's a great guy. <laughs> but... I, yeah, this didn't work for me either. Again, like the first issue, I was like, okay, this didn't work. Maybe it's just kind of a thing. It's interesting to me in that I feel that... I, I, I feel that... Keating is, you know, he's leveled up in a sense, you know, but I think that he's still learning and processing. So on the one hand, I actually thought, as I did about the previous issue of of Glory, that he's got a real handle on the rhythm of the comic book page, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But he's kind of at that stage where I feel the... um, He hasn't quite fully figured out how to integrate some of the meaning into that you know what i mean so and also this second issue of hell yeah sort of struck me as like oh so it's like casanova light like it and you you know again i wish you'd read it so that you could actually tell me if i'm if i'm right or wrong in that sense but you know for me a swing and a miss i think it's great that the kidding joe's getting all this coverage and hopefully we'll move on to other books but it to me it had it it still wears its its influences on really too heavily on its sleeve, but because because of that, I think recent leveling up in his in his uh, comic scripting abilities, I think it's a little harder to fault him for it. It doesn't appear quite as amateurish as some of the other books that you might come across, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I Where, completely understand. Yeah, so um, I picked up issue sixty three of Supreme. The Alan Moore, Eric Larson, Corey Hampshire, Hampshire issue. What did you think? Well, it's interesting. At first, I was like, "Well, I'm not going to pick it up because it's kind of a foregone conclusion." You know, um, like I kind of know that a, it's going to end on a cliffhanger. B, I pretty much have a strong sense of what the issue is going to be from what I remember the previous issue from four years back being at. Um, which is, you know, Darius Dax figuring out the existence of the supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, reading Eric Larson's little article about it where he was like, yeah, you know, uh, we're doing this issue and then we're moving it into a different direction, which is what Moore really intended. And the direction that we're going in is fuck Alan Moore's direction, you know? And I was kind of like, well, that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. I can't imagine why I would be sticking around for the next issue. Because they're definitely like, hey, remember that awesome idea of like if Superman was an asshole? Let's go. Let's get back to that. Like this whole Silver Age I, Superman I, thing. I love that because it's like really that's what you're getting back to. And and acting really surprised, excited about like this is where we really want to take it. I'm like, 
Wow. I, oh, I'm glad a lot of these guys can be hands-off editors. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, so I don't, I, I actually really liked it. It started off with some really clumsy dialogue, like Alan Moore, like stuff where he, it felt, I don't know if it was just a first draft or an earlier draft, or he was currently, you know, uh, conjuring a snake God while he wrote it. But it, the, the first three pages are so flat in a real obvious way. And, and I don't know if it's like choices that Eric Larson made. Like it starts off in a comic book shop, but the way the kids are talking about the comic book that they're holding in their hands, which essentially is Omniman, the issue of Omniman that reflects the issues of Supreme that has come before. So it's the kids talking about the book in a way that's clearly supposed to be pointing to as if we're supposed to be thinking about what's going on with Supreme. Felt really clumsy. Like not just not just clumsily that relatively old idea put forward badly but um but just just really like the language like nobody in there like uh like one of the kids in the comic book shop says ha have you seen this they've got all the all old omni men in it living in some sort of limbo dimension it's a real eye opener and it's like it's a real eye opener like that's, that's i really how the kids like, talk Jeff, you just don't understand. I guess that's it. I'm I'm thinking that everything's chill and dope, but Alan Moore has clearly moved beyond me back to the stage where people are like, it's a real eye opener. Um and I think there's a good case to to, you know, since the original Supreme run, we've had Morrison come back and do All Star Superman. So it sort of feels like maybe there's less of a need for Silver Age Superman now than well, there than there was. I feel at the like time. we've had a lot of things that have happened since Mar- mm-hmm. since Murdered Supreme. I mean, Murdered Supreme in the last century, right? Yeah, that's really true. And we're into our second decade of this one. So I mean, yeah. th- this is old work. I I read mm-hmm. this issue as well, and I have to say, it was pretty much what I expected from the ingredients. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that the clumsiness of the opening that you consider. I feel is mm-hmm. totally there when he does like Tom Strong later. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I, it, it. I was gonna say it doesn't read like Weak Moor to me, but it does. But it reads like Weak Moor then went on to continue for a number of years in America's best comics. Mm, interesting. Well, and maybe this is the difference between you and me then, because even though I thought this was pretty, admittedly weak sauce, more I ended up enjoying it. I do feel like. Sort of in the way with Grant Morrison's action comics, I kind of felt like, if nothing else, at least I felt like there were, we're looking at a new idea every page. Even if some of those ideas are just a trope or an, or a cliche, like like Dax having built a romantic, uh, romantic, a robotic assistant to talk to. Um, I thought I thought the scene between. Uh, Diana Dane and L'Oreal, the the angel girlfriend, you know, the, the whole, of, you know, we've always been here and then talking about her past and future. Yeah, her past and future and then saying, oh, no, 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 you exist. We're, we're a met. He's of the world of matter as of you. You don't exist. We are imagining you. And I, I kind of like that. I mean, you know, it. I think it fits well in the sense of 
sort of Moore's conception of magic uh, and also as a new spin on that sort of, you know, here's Superman's strangely otherworldly girlfriend, you know, and Mm -hmm. while tying in with the with the battle of the meta text, which is, is really what the Supreme stuff ends up being or, or being only in the, the flattest, most playful kind of way. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I think there have been far worse issues of Supreme. And by that, I mean, more Supreme, mm-hmm. I even read non <laughs> Right. But I, I right. really do. I think in terms of like, like, run on Supreme, mm-hmm. I, I think this is much better than, than at least half of each run because I, I, I've said it before I feel like half of each run is literally just photocopying a script from a Silver Age Superman book and then you know right. white outing su- Superman writing in Supreme and this at least right. tried to engage in the text as text I guess yes no I, I thought it did and actually tried to sort of um, uh, yeah up the ante on that engagement I suppose so e- even in a sort of low key slacky just doing it for the money kind of way yeah so. which you know is mm-hmm. is what he was doing but uh, I uh, it was fine I guess like I don't mm-hmm. have the, I don't have the affection for Mur that you do yes it was stronger than a lot of his supreme work it's about a level for me of like a Tom Strong and I can completely see that he was like, ah, well, I've given up with this. I'm going off to write Tom Strong now because I, I totally see right. similarities. I see parallels. Interesting. Yeah, I do too. I just I, – for whatever reason, I think by sticking closer to the bone um, of Silver Age Superman stuff, uh, I I – I liked actually what Moore was doing with it. With, with I, I'm more fond of of Moore than you are, and I think more fond of Supreme than you are. I definitely think because you were the one who really opened my eyes to the extent to which Moore, in his flashback stories, was being pretty lazy in the way that he was um, pastiching some of those original stories. Uh, Somehow, for whatever reason, it still worked for me. It still, did you, you know... Read, did you read it as it came out? Yeah, I did. See, because I didn't. I read it far, far later. Mm, I read it... Really? Yeah, I read it when I was in San Francisco, which means I must have read it sort of like 2000... I probably read it 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. I read it God, in the reprints. I read it in uh, the Checker reprints. Yeah, is it? God, is 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 it really that old? Did it really just not come out at like the beginning of the two thousands? Was it really like a mid nineties book? I want to say it was a late nineties book. I want because it was before America's Best Comics, and America's Best Comics launched in ninety nine, didn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, let me see here. I'm gonna poke around and see if I can figure out. It's not gonna help much to look up. Supreme on Wikipedia, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, but but I, I'm fairly sure that Supreme is from like 97, 98. That, w- that would actually really make sense, I think. Um, yeah, issue 41 of Supreme. What? It, when, there you go. Yeah, it was. It's because I've now looked it up. Issue. Yeah, his last issue was issue 56, mm-hmm. uh, which was 1998. So his run actually started, let's see, and then it continued with Supreme the Return, which finished right. in 2000. Right. Okay. So 2000. Right. So by 2000, it's done. So this this work is like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, and you read it later than if you were in San Francisco at that point? Yeah. You must yeah. have read it. Okay. 
Yeah, no, I read it while it was coming out. So, yeah, I will take that little life preserver ring that you throw me. But interestingly enough, I'm sort of, yeah, it, it's this stage of like, uh, part of me is like, but dude, I <laughs> I feel like this is all that Jonathan Hickman's really doing now, just with slightly better artistic collaborators who are slightly more interested in his vision, you know? I don't know. I'm maybe I'm wrong. I definitely had this thing of like, I do. I, I admit it. I you know I feel it when I read Morrison, and I felt it in this issue of Supreme. I like reading Silver Age Superman redone for with more modern storytelling approaches. I really do. And in that sense, I was shocked by how much I ended up enjoying this issue. Obviously, I enjoyed it more than you did since you were shocked <laughs> and you rated it as an okay issue, uh, an okay comic book. But well, I definitely I, I was never I was never madly in love with Supreme. It's a thing. Right. Right. So, you know, the best this comic could ever have been was that was a great end to an all right run. Right. That right. is as itself to, relaunching yeah. 12 years after the last issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it says something either about my decrepit memory or, um, or to me, the strength of, of Moore's storyline that I was like, okay, I'm right back. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need to read up any issues as a refresher. I knew right where it had left off in that sense. So, so yeah, I think I think I it well regarded. I can't see it as being out on the marketplace as anything other than a curiosity for the majority of the marketplace, though. But um, oh, I, but I liked it. I don't. I, like I just I feel that the the I wonder what the future of the book is. I feel like relaunching with an Alan Moore first issue, then going and now Eric Larson writes it in an yeah. entirely. I mean, pretty much with a different lead character. Yeah. Yeah, to me that's just a huge level like, of hubris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but also it, it feels suicidal because mm-hmm. I feel that if you're going to do what Larson is talking about doing, you do that mm-hmm. in your first issue. Mm-hmm. You don't have we have one issue left of the old run, and then everything changes with the second issue. It just feels suicidal. Well, to me, I think it's a good promo. I mean, you know, I don't. I think I would have just flat out ignored the first issue that Larson had done on Larson's terms. Um, and instead, but, I picked up this issue. I mean, I won't. I, yeah, but I'd I, be sh- that's what I mean. Are you not still going to ignore the first issue of, of Full on Larson? Well, there's a difference between ignore and ignore. You know what I mean? Like, there's. <laughs> there's you know ignoring what I mean? Because you forget, and there's willfully ignoring. Uh, there's, there's, there's ignoring as in you see that it's on the comic book shelf and you don't even flip the pa- opening page. And then there's what's going to happen this time around, which is I will flip through the next issue on the stands and I think probably then put it back down. But maybe but maybe they'll surprise maybe they'll surprise me. You know what I mean? Like they've got a, they've got a shot at me looking at it now, which I think is what they were counting on, that there were enough fans of the Alan Moore run that would pick up this issue that will be like, well, I'll see what they do next issue. And frankly, I mean, I imagine, you know, there's a lot of different things they could do with it. It's a good way to for them to go, okay, well, now the next issue is Darius Dax wipes out the Supremia and kills this Supreme, and the only one who escapes is Asshole Supreme. And then we just go for our reboot from there, you know. Um so I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, you know, and then at that stage I'll be like, okay, and now I have no interest, you know. But who <laughs> knows? Maybe I they'll am be done. right, exactly. But maybe they'll pay, maybe there'll be some 
strange thing where, I don't know, Commandy comes in and swings in on a vine and saves him, and I'll be like, okay, I'm in for another two issues. I don't know. I don't... Who knows the workings of my own strange heart, Graham? Cer- certainly not me. Probably not Eric Larson. But at least he got a shot, you know? So, uh, Fatal, issue number four. I liked it. You're not reading it. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. But you've, you've been fairly on board this for a while, right? Well, no, I think we both had really super mixed feelings for the first two issues. Yeah, but I, I, I found that you were, you, as of last issue, were like, okay, I'm on board this train. Yes, but that well, I guess what I'm saying is is the train has not knocked me off. But I, I just, you know, there's a difference from being on since issue one and being on since issue three, if you know what I'm saying. So for me, I think issue four continues to refine a lot of the stuff that I like, where it's starting to read, you know, more like an occult-tinged uh, Elroy novel. Um, and also there's some stuff going on with... Uh, Brubaker's narrative voice in this, in the caption boxes, that I quite liked. Um, you know, that seemed a little more than just something simple. Uh, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I, I have a sneaking suspicion if you were to pick up issues three and four, you would... St- I, I would, would like it more, but you still wouldn't like it. Well, you know here's the thing. I, said, I think I've said it before. I'm going to get the trade. Because mm-hmm. I, I, it's one of those books that I just feel that I would never like as much as I'd like reading All in a Wonder. Mm, interesting. Yeah, wow. You know, it's and I'm like, so you're saying, yeah. The, so, yeah, it's very silly for me to be like, well, you know, because I just sort of uh, – you say that and what I hear is like, okay, so you're not going to be reading it, you know. <laughs> and that's – I, that, I mean, that's totally like that's not that's not even accurate to say even remotely. So I, I apologize. I don't know why that's the case. I think it's because you think that, and then you never pick up a trade. Are you projecting? Could be. Could be. I mean, I think I think it's possible. I think yeah. I think weirdly enough, I, I have a tendency to pick up trades of. I don't know. Me. I. I I think I am projecting. I think there's also part of me that's sort of more in the entrenched, like, no, if you, you know, if you don't buy singles, the market will die. If you don't buy you singles, know, you don't get a vote. Exactly. You don't get a vote. You know, this is the vote. This is the vote with the dollars. So when you say that you're going to pick up the trade, I know what you're saying, Graham. You're saying, die, comics market. Die. I am. I'm saying direct market. Fuck you. I, I've, exactly. been, I've been really against the direct market this last week. I, oh wait, are you serious or are you joking? No, I really have. <laughs> um, between the Mark Wade thing, which is uh, markwade.com, it's the the entry called Print Math, and uh, Eric Stevenson's thing about the really low orders in Saga, mm-hmm. I really have just been like, the trick market's really fucked up, just mm-hmm. really, really badly, and I even understand why it's in this in this situation it's in. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a mess. I have to admit, I haven't read print math yet. In fact, I read oh, the print, book print launch, math and then will be like, print math will just make you so upset at the strike market. Mm-hmm. Mark mm-hmm. Wade guesses, and I think he's being conservative when he guesses that mm-hmm. uh, not irredeemable. What's the other one called? Incorruptible. Incorruptible. Incorruptible is stocked in perhaps 500 comic stores worldwide. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I I uh, 
I will have to read that. I agree that the direct market is in some some bad shape, uh, uh, and unfortunately, the the ways that that people talk about helping the direct market are really sort of inapplicable. I think unless you're at the the, the highest levels of the industry, you know, like I can definitely see why Stevenson is frustrated about Saga, you know, and it's very hard to turn around and go like, well, but two decades in this marketplace of retailers buying things on a non-returnable basis means that by, you know, virtue, they're going to order conservatively. They have to, you know. So it's it's a weird stage. Yes. Did you read Stevenson's post? I didn't. Okay, so Stevenson basically says that people are like, why didn't you overprint in Saga if you knew it was going to be such a success image? Right. And he makes the reasonably good point of we can't afford to do that, <laughs> right? Uh, and then says why why was it not ordered more? Why did people not look at the track record of Brand Gave On mm-hmm. and order heavier? Which I think is a completely good point. Um, and then says, do you think that's a better better point than than him saying like they can't afford to? Like yes, I I, I genuinely do because of the financial structure of Image. I do. Mm. Interesting. I, I I am never going to think that it costs more for a comic book company to print a comic than it does for uh, somebody to order a comic on a non-returnable basis. But if even if the comic sells, because I'm not saying like up the order by seven million, I'm mm-hmm. saying order more than you did. Yeah, but because it sold out in its first day. Yeah, but that does that not but, suggest that the orders are really really low? Yeah, it well, it suggests that the orders are really low, or it suggests that when you print an order, they're going to sell out in a but day. But they didn't print an order. They overprinted already. They just didn't overprint as much as people want them to. Well, yeah, I, well, I get that. But at what point do the retailers have to take some responsibility? Well, retailers do have to take some responsibility, but I think someone like Hibbs would point out that the number, like, once you start, once you set a print run for comics, running a higher print run costs pennies, you know, to the to the company, the publishing company. Once you decide to, like, start printing 2,000 copies of, you know, a comic book, or if you're printing, you know, whatever it is, like, orders are, the demand is 18,000. If you, the difference between printing 18,000 and 36,000 is remarkably slight. It'll still kill you. You still have to warehouse it. You still have to move it. You still have to take chances on it. But it is such a smaller piece of a financial gamble for a publisher to take than for a retailer to order twice the amount of what they think they're going to sell. You know? But it's just uh, it's I, completely I, disparate. I, I completely disagree. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do. Because first of all, I don't think the re- I don't think the retailer has to order twice as many as they're going to, they think they're going to sell. Well I, I, I'm I'm saying this in a one to one comparison. You know, I'm I, I'm saying like comparing what the publisher to the to the retailer. Like well, the, the, the publisher other, can print twice as many for much less than what it costs for the retailer. The other thing that, that's sticking in my head when you're saying this is part of Wade's print math thing is he mm. estimates that it takes a dollar to print a book. Hmm. I'd really be I'd be curious if that's really true. I but if not that, think if, that that's true. But if it is. 
Let's mm-hmm. just say that maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Do you still agree? Does like do, does your does your argument still hold water? Because uh, well, what I'm saying is, you know, why aren't image pointing up an extra two grand? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, um, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, rather than 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 just sort of prevaricate wildly, I'll just have to bow out because I don't, I don't. I'm inclined not to buy that number. Again, my personal feeling is is that although you can have the the death by a paper, uh, you know, a million paper cuts for a retailer, I do think that it's actually printing higher print runs is one of the easier things that they can do. Now there has to be demand for it certainly, but retail and I'm not saying I am saying. Definitely, the direct market <laughs> I'm not is saying, broken. I am saying <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I realized I was starting that wrong. I am saying that I definitely do think that the direct market is broken in some fairly significant and substantial ways. But part of the way that it is, and and again, when I was saying, I don't think that, for example, for image to, it's more of a risk for image and boom to overprint. It's a dramatically huge gamble for them to overprint more so than it is for Marvel and for DC to overprint. And I will go that next step, which is that um, also there are greater rewards in the marketplace for Marvel if Marvel and DC to overprint and to, to overship to stores. Oh, I, um, I, I completely agree. And sorry, I was, I was never talking about Marvel. No, 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 no. I know, but, but it's important. That I, because I said that at the beginning, and I do think that if we're getting into a stage of – we can't just say that the, that the component is image and boom you know, and the retailers and ignore 80% of the market in there. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that – like I said, the, the problem – there's things that are problems with the retailers in that traditionally when they are bucks up, they tend to dump more money. In. It's not like they turn around and start buying boom comics. They start buying Spider-Man future busts. You know what I mean? They don't necessarily turn around it like when they had all that money. It's like okay, well, it's not. It's not like in the '90s. It's not like those guys who are making all sorts of crazy money off Pogs were like, okay, well, all right, free Love and Rockets editions for everyone because I'm sure everyone's going to love this. You know what I mean? They moved <laughs> on to whatever was the even stupider way to lose money. You know that that was further on down the path. Um, but I do think that that. Part of the problem that we're going through, and it makes sense because the two areas, image and uh, boom and Mark Wade and a variety of independent publishers, until the book market started to you know kick in, they're still incredibly dependent on the direct market shops. And the direct market shops, in turn, are incredibly dependent on Marvel and DC, you know? And so it's very hard to work your way into retailer consciousness when they essentially see you as that thing on the dinner table you know the like at best your garnish maybe to the main meal um and of course for you this is in, entirely your livelihood but um but i do think that stevenson is being especially more so i think than than wade or boom um you know for many years image 
got by on essentially the fact that they brokered an ex- awesome deal with Diamond. And as long as they continue to put out a number of titles, they continue to get all of the uh, exclusive partnership that they wanted. You know, um, you know, Image has a lot to suffer, for, you know, has a lot to answer for, not least of which is whenever money starts picking up, you know, suddenly you've got Will Sportasio walking back in, you know, saying like, well, hey, I think it's time for the pit to make a comeback. And I think the first couple of issues should be issued in platinum. I mean, obviously that hasn't happened, but um, but I do think when, you know, if Image is doing well and suddenly Extreme Studios is back or suddenly McFarlane's making noises, you know, it they have their own problems, I think, that are more than just the problem is, is that the retailers are... Um, you know, that the direct marketplace is broken. It's like they're helping break that marketplace every month. Okay. Just not in a huge way, just not in a big way that like Marvel and DC are. I, I okay, no, I, I, yeah, I just feel that you're saying this might be a problem, but there's all these other problems as well. So, huh. Well, no, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I suppose, I, I, I guess what, but I suppose what I'm saying is, is that I think that the retailers tend to be the brick bat, the, the go-to brick bat boys of choice in, in, in looking at the comics industry, and, you know, especially for for indie dudes. And on the one hand, I totally, I totally get why Stevenson's frustrated, why Wade's frustrated, why why Boom's frustrated, but there's a lot of ways. And again, I'm really walking out. It's very easy for, you know, we should both point out the fact that I'm hanging out in the air bare-assed here, because I'm in, indirectly responding to two separate columns that I haven't read. The, once I read them, I'll be like, oh, oh, I sure came off like an asshole there. Well, but, but uh, part know. of me is like, I really... I really want to say you to read them and then have this conversation again. I know because well, I feel I feel like you're I feel like you're responding to what you think they said as opposed to what they Absolutely. actually said. If that makes sense. Well, yes. Well, no, it does make sense because having not read them, how could I do otherwise? That's 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 true. Yeah. So I, you're absolutely right. Um, unfortunately, at least we know where my biases w- will be when we come back to this. <laughs> Your biases might be entirely correct. I don't know. I just feel – I feel that you were defending the retailers too much, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like because of where your biases are, you're like, no, they're always the ones getting shot on. And while that's true, it doesn't also mean that they don't bear any responsibility. Oh, I'm not saying that they don't bear any responsibility. I just think that um, that the I feel, traditional I feel like- having the two little guys fight rather than actually looking at, at the 80% of the marketplace in the room is is a mistake. Okay. So, but I will have to read it and come back. Also, was this on his blog post or was it was it on his blog or was it in an interview? Which one? I, they're both in blogs. Uh, they're they're both. Uh, uh, it was Wade's blog, and um, Eric Stevenson's was in his it sparkles dot blogspot dot com. Okay, that's where I dash sparkles dot blogspot dot com. Okay, which entry was it? Because all I'm seeing it's called are... selling out. Great. If you want the at, it's from twentieth of March. If you're going to try and okay, yeah, because I went to the site and I'm like, I'm going to start looking this up, and it cuts off at phenomenal cat, 
Which yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say if, if it's Eric Stevens, then yeah, you've got to deal with like, you know, I'm listening to D- Dusty Springfield and whatever right. before you finally get there. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an actual blog. So I, I think that's totally cool. Yeah. Is it, it's not, it's, it's the 28th of March, the issue called. Yeah. Abs- yeah. The installment selling out. And of course, Mark Wade's uh, entry over at markwade.com print math from April 4th. I'll read both and not talk out of my ass about it next week. You can definitely continue to talk out of your ass. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure many people would say that I'm actually being premature here. I will just say that I won't be talking out of my ass without having read the uh, articles next week. I'll, I'm, I'll be knowledgeably talking out of my ass. <laughs> yeah. so, so the direct marketplace, you feel the retailers should be doing more? Uh, no, I think, I think, to be honest, the retailers are fucked. Because I think... I think the retailers should be doing more, but I don't see how they can, I guess is what it comes down to. Right. I, I feel that I feel that it is the idea that, you know, Incorruptible is only being ordered by five hundred stores, if that's true, is insane. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. The fact that Saga is in its third printing and it's something like thirty five percent of its first printing mm-hmm. like of reprint really suggests that it was under ordered. But at the same time, when it's the same month as retailers have to pay shitloads of money for Avengers vs. X-Men, then you can't really blame them. Yeah, no, I do. I, I think... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 think, I think retailers are making bad decisions for the good of the industry. Or for the... Like, bad decisions for the future of the industry, I should say. Um, mm. But I also... I'm not sure that they necessarily have any choice. Right. Well, I think that is the problem. I mean, that... I, that they'll get ROI the... on Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm well aware. I mean, this is the thing that drives me crazy about. I think I mentioned this to you a couple of podcasts ago. It drives me crazy that uh, DC, for example, when DC was making their books returnable, they got dinged by twenty percent on their um, sales figures, whereas Marvel can essentially give away a comic book, and that still counts for its total sales. Yeah, that that drives me insane. That, you know, that really like I can't get my head around that. I can't get my head around the fact that a hundred percent overship gets counted, and mm-hmm. making a comic returnable means you get twenty percent taken off your number. That yeah, that, that is, I I do not get that at all. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those situations where I half asked, uh, half asked. Uh, Hibs about it as opposed to half assed it uh, a couple of weeks ago because it, it you know it had been driving me nuts and he mentioned that there were some precedents about why that was the way that it was um, but it still sucks uh, you know I think those precedents should change because I think you when your official metrics end up sort of rewarding irresponsible behavior you're just like well then who can be surprised when when hijinks ensue Exactly. Yes. exactly. But it's, it, it's on just, it. I don't know. It's just crazy. I mean, also the thing about Avengers vs. X-Men is mm-hmm. I don't quite get the math, but if stores can actually afford to give away their regular non-variant editions of Avengers vs. X-Men issue one, mm-hmm. there's something wrong, right? Well, there is something wrong, but – I I don't I unfortunately it was that classic like this is this would be something where we would have to talk with Hibbs about it because my understanding is wasn't it based on the fact that that Marvel gave the discounts are so steep 
the higher the numbers go and they've got the variant covers in it that for stores that flip their variant covers on eBay, they can actually cover the cost of what they they did to buy all those comics and yeah. then essentially afford to give them away, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly there are those people who are going to turn around and try and sell, you know, those copies. I mean, don't get me wrong. I personally think that that is, you know... Well, um, I, I saw advertisements for two stores giving copies away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. just if you come in on Wednesday, we will give you Avengers versus X Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they probably again, it's that weird thing of like at least the stores are you know are are setting the value of Avengers versus X Men number one for what it's worth. Uh, I don't know. I you know, I was going to try and bring Mudman issue three into this uh, because in it Paul Chris talks about why he's like doing this and will not be doing Jack Staff because again of the the low solicits the fact he's sort of like uh, the fact that I can't continue to do a comic book you know I can't continue to do, to you know keep doing Jack Staff despite starve you know and starve um he's like I can't con- I can't carry on indefinitely working on a comic that isn't selling enough copies so uh, issue six of World World of Jack Staff finished the story I began in issue one of the comic that made it the most sensible endpoint. It certainly makes more sense than starting a new story, which would then be unfinished, just because I'd already solicited the first couple of issues of a new storyline. Trust me, you would have been any happier with that. I think it's fascinating that that's that he has to spell it out. Like again, that's a sign that there is something is broken somewhere, you know. But I, I don't. I, I honestly feel like so much is broken. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. I don't. I right. don't. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. 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 I think it's a. It's a very complex situation, and therefore, it just isn't as easily fixable as we would like. Um, let me mention one more comic in brief before uh, we go on to talk about Avengers versus X Men or anything else you might have up your sleeve and or anything else you must have for your sleeve. And that is Glamour Puss, issue 24. How is Dave Sim these days? He is fucking insane, Graham. Oh, my God. I know that is is different from normal Dave Sim, how? It's awesome. It is so awesome. He has a, I mean, I could not read the first half of this book, and I still shelled out for it. Because he has a two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve page story that I don't even necessarily know is titled. I think it might be titled Accident or Suicide. Or maybe it's titled Last Ride. I think it might be titled Alex Raymond's Last Ride. Or knowing Dave Sim, it's actually titled all of those things. But it is a it's his ongoing Dave Sims historical analysis of the age of, you know, the golden age of photorealism in cartooning and comics, and also the artists and contributors of it. I did not know, and this was apparently a fun bit of ephemera, that Alex Raymond, the artist of uh, Flash Gordon, um, if I'm reading the story correctly, he died in a car accident where it was um, Leonard Drake who drew the, what is it, the Secret Lives of Juliet Jones? Is it the Secret Lives or the Secret Loves of Juliet Jones? St- oh, Stan Drake. Sorry. 
I, I get. I think Leonard Drake's his brother, so maybe I'm just confused. Stan Drake, who was doing uh, Juliet Jones and was also drawing, weirdly enough, Blondie. He was writing and drawing Blondie during this time. He took Raymond out in a spin for his cor- in his Corvette, and there was an accident in which, and that's how Raymond died. And it's amazing. It's amazing watching Sim. Like Sim is doing it's profoundly exciting work i don't know how to describe it it is absolutely batshit insane outsider work at at its at its at its kind of its most intriguing and i don't know i'm i think technically i should feel more ghoulish about this than i do but part of it is is that sim's storytelling chops are so fucking remarkable like in this 12 page story he's got a bottom tier set of panels which are Raymond and Drake in the Corvette driving down the road and he has captions that are with a white background black print that his that start off as his sort of stating the facts of what's going on then sort of flowing down the page are um Sim talking about first in white page in in uh, black te- text on a white background, and then eventually white text on a black background, talking about the circumstances in which Drake himself was interviewed about the accident, and then ultimately spills into talking about what Sim thinks Alex Raymond's thoughts had to have been, his last moments had to have been in that fatal accident. And on top of this, Sim goes from drawing um, drawings of all of the involved principles uh, to drawing in Raymond style and drawing in Leonard Starr's style, uh, drawing from a panel from Mary Perkins on stage of which he superimposes a falling three-panel grid of a comic strip as it falls over the woman's face, you see the skeleton, the skull underneath it. It's like so mega what the fuckish. I cannot even begin to tell you. And then, as if that isn't enough, there's like a three-page text discussion between Eddie Kana, who I don't know if that's like a pseudonym for for Sim or an actual person, and Sim talking about the many allegorical layers attached to the fatal Alex Raymond car crash. Let, let me just read you the, um, if you don't mind, the <laughs> no, first no. paragraph. Yeah, first, you don't mind. Okay, the first paragraph? I might yeah, mind that. Go. It's, okay. <laughs> following up on, uh, following on with my predestination theme last issue, that Alex Raymond's fate was carved in stone all the way back to flash, comma, gourd on, G-O-R-E-D, space, O-N. Uh, I see another example of that in Rip Kirby. The name took some coming up with, starting with Kirby Cameron, Rip O'Rourke, and so on. I think, again, the name needed, unbeknownst to Raymond's conscious mind, to reflect his predestined fate. R.I.P. Kirby. That is, the photorealism style he was pioneering at the point of his death would be shifted to the margin of the comics field, and it would be Jack Kirby's cartoon realism's turn to shine for a good decade or so. 
Okay, before you did that, I was going to make a joke about it was a shame that Dave Sim wasn't trying to stretch himself when you were describing mm-hmm. the issue. Now that you've said that, I'm just convinced that Dave Sim, Dave Sim is stoned out of his fucking mind. Add in the real world fictional world, the, sorry, the real world slash fictional world interweaving of Stanley, and then in parentheses he puts Stan Lee, Drake, in the passenger seat, and R.I.P. Kirby creator Alex Raymond in the driver's seat, and you have a good snapshot of where comics went 1956 to 1967. Far-fetched? Question mark? I don't know. I do. Yes, it's far-fetched. Yes, kind of, right? Like, but I'm I'm really, like, I was like, oh my god. Like, it's really, I mean, you know, the great part is he certainly was able to convey that in a 10-page comic story, which is really just a comics essay, which is exquisitely drawn, detailed, and designed, but is crazy. Like, crazy, Graham. Like, he's really, like... Wow, that's like, that's really. I mean, that's visionary slash. Someone should be checking in on this man for the good of his health. Exactly, it's like when visionary goes a little too wrong in the wrong direction. Um, but I have to say, I think Glamorpus is going on to my must-buy list because I am. I haven't even. I wasn't able. I didn't have the time to read through all the rest of the textual stuff. Because honestly, if you read the rest of it, and I say this with all love for these gentlemen, there's a lot of it that doesn't seem that much out of place with what you might read in a mindless ones blog post if it was about a fictional story as opposed to real life. Like there's some very clever allegorical unweaving of stuff. It's just that because it's actually applied to reality, it's kind of scary, depressing, fascinating, but. But the the level of thought is really up there. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane, but it's not like cut rate, I've been snorting alcohol and shooting meth, you know, kind of insane. It's like high caliber insanity. I, For people who are easily disquieted uh, or maybe appreciate being as easily disquieted, check out Glamorpus if you can find it. It's a triumph of the direct marketplace in that it's being carried in sub-stores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't if, think it's if, being carried That's just many. it. If Incorruptible is being carried to 500 stores worldwide, how many stores are carrying Glamorbus? Probably four. I definitely know that Jarrett Kobeck, who had, had given me some heads up about the fascination of Glamorbus, although I think this was far beyond what he even he had described to me, uh, had mentioned that it is an incredibly hard book to get in print. And because you have to interact with sim directly to buy issues through him getting back issues is an incredible pain in the ass but wait are are there not um phone books like he used to of glamorous i don't think so i I don't think i don't think if there is if there is one i would think that they would be even more selectively limited because i don't i'm not sure that dave sim is actually letting himself be distributed i'm not sure how he's distributing this stuff actually um you know, he's got a barcode in it on the front, and that's about as as much as I can figure out. Uh, my understanding is it's really hard to get a hold of these issues. But for those who like looking for something different, please seek them out because holy mother of Jesus. I mean, it that, really that, that is that. Stunning. Yeah. I don't yeah, even yeah, know yeah. if I mean that in a good stunning or not. It just sounds 
I, I have no words. It sounds like something that has to be seen to be believed, but I'm not sure if people have to see it, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think that sums it up about as well as anything. Nonetheless, uh, it combined with Fatal uh, issue four, Action Comics number eight, OMAC number eight, Casanova and even Supreme made it a made a pretty good week. That is a that is a kind of yeah you had you scored well in that one. I, I really did. Your lack of Avengers versus X Men has only improved things. Yeah, seriously, right? Like it kind of is that thing that people are saying of like, oh, hop off the Marvel train, you'll feel much better. And uh, if every week's like this one, I'm definitely not going to be feeling the the withdrawal pains. Although I did see that cover of Daredevil and it was so lovely, it was kind of hard not to pick it up. Stay strong. Stay strong. Yeah, as I know. said, Avengers vs. X-Men. Um, yeah, that was exactly the comic you thought it might be. Really? Yeah. Just in no way, no nothing. No. Like, exactly. No. Yeah. yeah, really. Just the – really exactly if you have read any Bendis Avengers comic mm-hmm. and you have read the hype for uh, Avengers vs. X-Men, you know exactly what is in this comic. Exactly what is in this comic. Um, the only reasons to buy it mm-hmm. are if you buy it in print, you get to put your iPad in front of it and see Axel Alonso walk across the screen and be like, hi. I tried to do that Welcome. in the store. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Did you do it? Yeah. Yeah. That's really worth buying it for. That, oh, that so you is... didn't even buy the issue? Did you not buy the issue, Graham? No, I did. <laughs> no, okay. what I, no, what I'm saying is uh, having done it. Ah, I see. You did it. Yeah, I haven't done it. It's um, yeah, it's for all type <laughs> of AR. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a horrific letdown. Yeah, I, it really is. I, if they think this is the future of comics, that's a really sad sign. Well, how you know? But of course, part of me is like, but how could it be the future of comics? I mean, it's fun they're, in a they're, like yeah, DVD sort of way. But about, you know, everything's going to be fine. This is great. We've got the future of comics, and it is. I didn't even do all the AR buttons, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, so I'm sure so on, bored. Mm-hmm. But I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, so this is terrible. What's what's what are the other ones? Is it like Brian Bandis like holding up a sandwich, going, "Guess what this is." You know, no, it's like, hey, here's this page in pencils. Here it is in inks. Here it is in colors. Or here's uh, Iron Man. It's just like the cover. It's just like zooms in on different parts, and you've got a terrible rock soundtrack. <laughs> I I have to admit, when I told Hibbs I was coming to the store, he's like, download the the Avengers AR app, the, the Marvel AR app, because he wanted to see it work. And uh, weirdly enough, the Verizon reception was shitty enough and he doesn't have Wi-Fi that I couldn't get it to load. Like I, I – we had one thing where the splash page was loading and it spent like so long loading, I got tired of holding it up. OK. So that's, like, that's the page with the, the Phoenix, the double page friend. Yes. That's the one where Axel Alonso like literally walks out for the corner and he's like, hi, welcome to Avengers vs. Sex and number one. He's <laughs> great. I mean, that really is like, I mean, it really, it's kind of this whole thing of like, I don't know. I just, I, I think that that's hilarious. Now, did you check out Infinite Comic? That's the Infinite Comic? The, the, the okay. other reason to buy it is you also get the Infinite Comic. Uh, right. And again, I was disappointed. And I think the only reason mm-hmm. I was disappointed about the Infinite Comic, to be honest, is because I believe the hype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, put this way. In in terms of a comic, if you look past the bells and whistles, mm-hmm. 
it's really nicely illustrated and the most mm-hmm. worthless comic in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the plot is this. I'm Nova. I'm running away. I've got to get to Earth. Oh, I almost hit that helicopter. I crashed. Wow, really? That's it. And you get like you get internal narrative where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going really fast. I'm going really fast. <laughs> oh, it's really hard for me. I'm going really fast. I fly through space. My brain's a computer. I'm going really fast. It's a helicopter. Oh, no. But it's, I mean, Mark Wade, I love you, but oh, God. Um, but yeah, it's really nicely illustrated. I, the, the format, though, mm-hmm. again, it's like, sure, it's not motion comics, but it's mm-hmm. pretty much as near as Dammit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there was more of the motion comics feel to it than than yeah. Say, the, there's there's the you know, here's Nova. He's in focus, and the thing behind him isn't. Oh, now he's no longer in focus, but it's the phoenix behind him. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, there's some nice bits. Like there's a bit where Nova's waking up, and they sort of expand the panel. So that you, like, first of all, you only see Captain America and then you see all the Avengers and then you see what Nova sees, which is like the identifier page where it's all, it's exactly the same art, but like there's computer layouts going Captain America, Avenger. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, again, I, I, I believe the hype and mm-hmm. that's always a problem because nothing will, nothing will ever live up to the hype, especially when people are like, this is the revolution in comics reading. Right, because because it's not, and it can't. Do, do we get to mock you for believing the hype? Because we know you didn't believe that level of hype, right? No, I definitely didn't believe that level of hype, but I expected more than I got, nonetheless. Right? Yeah. So and I think because, I think that's the problem. Because really, what I got was a motion comic without sound effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and without motion. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's really, it's not that different from the other attempts to come up mm-hmm. with, quote-unquote, the next generation of comics. Um, mm-hmm. And between that and the AR thing, because when both were announced, everyone was like, AR, it's just like the QR codes. You put your and mm. you put your thing up and you get additional contacts. And Marvel like, no, this is totally different. This is this is massively different. And the difference is, instead of having like a little box with black and white squares in it, you have it a, says AR. Yeah, <laughs> and like really obviously on the page. You know what I mean? Like, I, yes, I yes, really, it is very I obvious. Isn't really it? disruptive to the mm-hmm. to reading of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the everyone's like, the infinite comics are nothing like motion comics. And that's not really the case. Like, I get mm-hmm. that they've got rid of a lot of what I hate about motion comics. Because motion mm-hmm. comics really are shittily cheap animation. Mm-hmm. And this is yes. this is more of a comic. Yes. But it's just... I don't see why this has to exist, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Like, it, my, my experience of the story is not massively changed by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like... Huh. I mean, I, here's the thing. I got it for free. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all it's worth. Dude, which reminds me, did you go in? Wasn't there like a signing in Excalibur on AVX Day or something? Yeah, or was that at some other point? Tuesday. They had a Tuesday night party. Oh, and you didn't go? No, did you miss the part where I said that Kate's mother's going to die? <laughs> so, dude, come on, prioritize. Like she's coming today. That was Tuesday night. You could have gone and gotten in a fist fight and then come back to told, tell us all about it. Exactly, because who were the guests? CB Sabolski and Matt Fraction. I know. 
dude, but you you literally just want people to like hit me, don't you? No, I don't. I want you to hit other people, Graham. <laughs> I don't want anyone to hit you ever. That's why I want you to put on a suit of armor before you go down there and start punching. Actually, that'd be great if you walked in in a suit of armor and like lifted up. Clank! Fraction, hello. I'm here for you! <laughs> I'm here to say hello! No, you could start off nice, and then if things got bad, then you could start punching. But, you know. No, 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 no. I was, I was just curious. I, In fact, when I saw the announcement, I deliberately was like, okay, I'm not going to tweet Graham and challenge him to go to this, because I really didn't want to put you in a bad spot. Cause uh, no, because I, I was, yeah, I, I genuinely was busy that night. Yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure you were. But uh, so you got it free from it, I, was Excalibur giving away copies then? No, no, no. I paid for uh, AVX. Oh, you I, mean the you, you mean you the Infinity the, comic the, was? Yeah, free. you got the Infinite comic free. Right, right. When you you can also buy the Infinite comic separately for like yes, you got cents. Yes, you got. I like unless you're really fucking curious, <laughs> right? I wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. And here's exactly. the thing: it's it's one of those things where you're like, well, it's not a bad comic, and it kind of is in that mm-hmm. it literally exists to show off technology, which is not spectacular, and to lead into the story that you've actually already read because you've already read Avengers versus X Men One. Right. It's not like you're going to buy this and go, okay, first thing to the Infinite Comic. The other thing that is hilarious is. The end of the Infinite Comic is Nova's crash lands and does the "It's coming, it's coming," which is a scene that also happens in Avengers vs. X Men issue one. Mm-hmm. They play out differently. Oh God! Oh really? Wow! Yeah, the, the well, that's coordination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's tight knit. Oh Graham! It's oh, Graham. yeah. It was. It was. You've not missed anything. Put it that way. Okay. Well, that's that's sort of a relief for me. Kind of a bummer in a way for for Marvel and for people who I it's, may have believed that. It I've sold been. a shitload of comics. Yeah. It is massively. Don't cry for Marvel. Marvel have done really well out of this one. Well, if it would be if it was one out of one, like you know, but they've still got another eleven. Like I've. I've never. I haven't read anything. Admittedly, I haven't read a lot of reviews, but. I've I've yet to hear anyone say anything good about it in a way that was, but I mean I I guess they're saying that it's not worse than what they expected. Yeah, there, there's a lot of really really polite saying that it's not good from lots of people who are basically saying, yeah, this is exactly what you'd expect, which is not a plus. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So, like the, the most you're seeing, you know, the big news sites are giving it, you know, reasonable reviews. You know they're they're giving it you know seven out of ten or, or eight out of ten or something, but when you actually read it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the reviews are pretty much like this is exactly what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. You're hoping the story picks up later, right? Exactly. So I mean that's my thing. If it, if it was a four issue miniseries or something, that'd be one thing. But uh, you know, I mean, here here's the last line of the CBR review. The first issue was a good example of the creative team managing to rise above the concept and leaves me hopeful they'll be able to bring something even more interesting to the table as the series progresses. That's not a rave. Well, they did say it rose above. It did say even more. No, I just... Yeah, no, it did. But I don't know. It's just... And the Newsarama one as well is pretty much like, you're on notice that you better be good. (laughs) 
Well, I, you know, I think that's, I don't know. I, again, I'm like, well, if, you know, reviewers actually can say that they're not happy with things in a way, even in, in weird encoded doublespeak, then so much the better. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess I just wish it didn't have to be weird encoded doublespeak. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's true too. But um, I don't know. I, I definitely I'm very curious as to where Marvel's going to be three six months from now with this. You know, I really do. But I, of course, you know, they, I honestly they, have they, no idea either. They will be fine mm-hmm. because Fear itself rose in sales over its seven months. Avengers vs X Men will not rise in sales because it's starting so high. But it, right, it's starting it high. Will, yeah. It will stay a good seller it will stay definitely their strongest seller for the entire run and it'll probably stay number one for the charts for the entire run hmm. unless something goes hideously wrong right yeah we'll see we'll see I'm 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 sure you're well I'm not sure I I I have every reason to believe that you're right so um so tell us other things, Graham, because I feel like I talked way too much. This I, is the reason why we've got to make sure you read as many books as I do, because I feel like there was a long talk stretch there where it was just me blabbing, jabbering away. Let's hear more, Graham. <laughs> no, because I'm going to bring it to a close because it's two hours and ten minutes into the podcast. Damn it. Okay. All right. <laughs> but we could we could run a, just a few minutes longer, right? Isn't there something? There's books we didn't cover, right, that you read? like In, For new books? No, there's not no, new books that I didn't cover. Anything I, old you want to talk about? Yeah, Strike Force Morichuri. Ah, really? The Peter read, B. Gillis stuff? Yeah, I read the first volume of that this week. Wow. That's a weird, fucked up comic. Yeah? Yeah, it's kind of awesome. I, I, I'm convinced that Marvel's rushing out because there's a TV deal or something in the, in the offing. Because I right. could be wrong. I think they're doing three volumes, like the entire series in trade, in like three months. Wow. That is crazy. Um, but the first volume, at least, is actually kind of good. And I think yeah. that they're willing to literally kill people off with no notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. It got huge amounts of praise at the time for things like that. Um, at the time, it never really clicked with me, I have to say. I thought it was kind of um, unnecessarily pretentious and kind of the art seemed uh, kind of dark in a way that didn't really suit me, I suppose. It's it's but, definitely it's Peter B. Gillis is going to be pretentious. Oh yeah, but I was shocked by the level of pretension. So, but I mean, yeah, but but now I it, would uh, I would probably welcome it. Yeah, it'd be really yeah. interesting to look back on it because you can definitely see things that have become much more common in comics since then. Right, like the first person narration all the way through in caption boxes. Yes, that's a that's a huge jump then at the time and now is pretty de rigor, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting comic, and it's one of those things that could definitely be brought back. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I could see this being a success if they brought it back and did it right. Now, just to make sure, because I'm sure there are some people for whom this is actually news. This was a series that Marvel published. Was it through the Epic imprint or no? Nope. Just as it's a, a, through an actual Marvel, Marvel book. Marvel right? comics started in '85, mm-hmm. uh, where the high concept is Earth has been invaded by aliens. Humanity has worked out a way to create superhumans to fight back, but you have to be under 18 and you will die within a year. It's not you will die after a year, you will die within a year. It could happen Mm. as soon as you get this treatment or near. 
the next day. I didn't quite realize that. So yeah, so, so they don't all die at the same time. Is the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there's uh, there's a character who doesn't make it past the first issue. Mm-hmm, Maybe mm-hmm. the second issue. The character dies really, really, really early, um, mm-hmm. and they kill off the lead by the sixth issue. Nice. They kill, they kill off their point of view character by the sixth issue. Hmm. Um, and so you know, they really it takes a lot of risks, and I really liked it for that. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't imagine because I remember when it was coming out at the time, and I was like, you know, eleven years old, and buying it, being like, I have no fucking idea what's going on here. Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, it's one of the things that I think reads again really better in collection. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's enough. You need a couple of issues to really get into it, to buy into it. I think, uh, especially because right. the first issue inexplicably has a "I have just read Watchmen" moment, where it's the lead character is reading a comic about the earlier generation of Strike Force Mercury, and you see the pages of the comic, mm-hmm. which thankfully goes no further. <laughs> Right, they, they don't continue for in the second issue. Um, right, but it's kind of a good hook for the first issue in a way, though. I think in a way, I guess. No, it doesn't read that way. Well, it's it's really setting up. It's done kind of badly. It's really setting up the hook that everyone thinks that these guys die heroically, and instead they mm-hmm. literally pretty much just spontaneously combust at random. And so he like the guy sets up and he's like, ah, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna be a hero. Sure, I'll die. I'll die for a cause. And then the doctor's pretty much like, so we want to tell you, you might never get to fight. <laughs> you literally <laughs> might just explode at any moment, and you'll definitely be dead by a year. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really funny. It's such a it's such a really dark concept. It's funny that you mentioned Watchmen. I'm like, oh, of course. Of course. Like, I never would have made that link at but all. It must have, but it must have been contemporaneous with Watchmen. Because uh, it came out 85, 86. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. It's weird. I never th- associated the two of them with it. I mean, I mean, clearly there were probably people who started working in Watchmen riffs while it was coming out, I guess. But, mm, you know... I kind of felt like Watchmen was the book that didn't quite have, like it, like what it took a year or two for the rest of the industry to read it. I'm sure that's probably not true. I just for some reason I'm like, no, but I, I, I never. But if anyone is going to rip it off, I can completely believe it would be Peter B. Gillen. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, that's the part that makes a ton of sense. You know. Um, well, yeah. Well, no, it, like, it, Watchmen it, started in '86, according to. Mm-hmm. So let's see when Strike Force Mercury actually started. Because it'd be awesome if it actually was first. If it predated it, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that it is. It does sound no, pretty contemporary. No, it's, it's, it's both, they're both 86. Yeah. So. Uh, first issue is, yeah, and the first issue is December 86. So yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. not. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm, so. I'm, looking, I'm looking at it now. Apparently there, were, there was a sequel series. Yeah, that's a, that sounds right. Electric Undertow. <laughs> Electric Undertow. It was the that sounds bad. Yeah, it's, it also it took place in Marvel Multiverse Earth twelve eighty seven. Okay, wait. I don't know if that's that's got to be that's a little bit of a retcon. I can't imagine. Yeah, because the Marvel Multiverse didn't have numbers until then. But that's possibly a retcon from like the um, official handbook, which has taken upon itself apparently to give us mm-hmm. numbers. Oh, really? Yeah, that's really funny. Let's see, Marvel Multiverse. 
Oh yeah, you're oh, right. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. I, I look what good I call, found. man. Oh, look, is the two thousand five? Yes. But look what I've just found out. Strike Force Mercury is going to be turned into a feature film. Ah, right, good call. Right. Well, when you said that, you were right. I, I was like, yeah, it's got to be the reason. Either that, or it's some weird like they're going to lose the copyright, you know, the trade pr- trademark, and they just like oh, get, the, get this though. Mm-hmm. The rights were snagged by a company called Waterman Entertainment, who have hired Peter B. Gillis to write it. What? That's great. And terrible at the same time. <laughs> But that said, like as as a film concept, it's mm-hmm. it's fucking great. I mean, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'd actually be really good as a TV concept. Yeah, actually, it seems like a really good TV concept. Although, again, it's one of those ideas where I was kind of like, yeah, it's so high concepty that it almost seems to cut against itself. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, so if you follow through on this, everyone that I'm interested in is going to be dead in a year. It doesn't seem that interesting to me. Like I don't know. Really? But yeah, I don't know. I don't seems know like, why that. Seems like it's a big, uh, it's a big risk because you just have to just continually invent more characters to take. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's like uh, on a uh, a theoretical level, I'm fascinated by it. No, on a theoretical level, I am too. I, I and it's it, but it's one of those deals where I have to admit, at the time, I didn't pick it up. And if I had, you know, the Graham McMillan Magical Library, uh, I would also probably pick it up because I'm assuming you got this through the miracle of the Magic oh, Portland Library. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, if if I did, I would totally, I would, I would be interested in reading it. But I also remember at the time thinking, like, huh, this should be something that I like, and yet for some reason, it doesn't. It doesn't strike me as again. I, just, I could see Gillis being a real problem for you. Yeah, a little bit. Although, again, I tend to like my dudes pretentious. Like at the time, I would, you know, I was. No, but here's the thing. I discovered McGregor. But as we discovered last week, you like your guys pretentious in the Jeff Lester way. Because you got two cases <laughs> incredibly pretentious who you despise. That is true. <laughs> but Peter V. Gillis is not was not like running around with shades on, going, "Yeah, oh, I'm a baller." But Peter B. Gillis, he would be if Peter B. Gillis was a. <laughs> I sort of want to read the Wikipedia entry on this guy. Where is he? What has he done? What is he doing? He returned to comics in 2010. Did he? Well, when he wrote the six-issue comic adaptation of The Last Unicorn for IDW Publishing. Oh, God, so he did. I even had that book. (laughs) (laughs) Peter McGillis, on the radar. (laughs) Here's the thing. I totally remember his run of Micronauts, The New Voyages, a.k.a. the series that simultaneously started my interest and killed my interest in the Micronauts. See, I think this is the problem. I, I, I never really like. I always liked the idea of Peter Gillis when he followed other people, like he followed Bill Mantlo on Micronauts, and he followed. Uh, I want to say, did he follow Dematius on Defenders, or did he? Yes, somehow, and he, like, and he followed Roger Stern and Doctor Strange. Right, and somehow I, I just kind of was like, okay, and then he just never. He always seemed to suffer by comparison, so. I was very much like, well, I'm sure if I swear to God, I just remember Strike Force, the Strike Force Mercury uh, book, picking up one issue of it and flipping to the last page, 
and maybe memory because this obviously was when it came out so it would have been 25 26 years ago and it was a character in a chair sitting i think it was a full page splash and the caption boxes were talking about how he'd been named after a character in james joyce's finnegan's wake and i was like no i don't know why <laughs> that why i had that reaction i was just like no. oh no jeff you have to read this trade because the they end up at one point going into space to fight the aliens with, and this is my favorite completely random part, a yacht that has been retrofitted into a spaceship by the invading aliens that happens to belong to the parents of the lead character who died in the sixth issue. <laughs> okay? And in this, you have the parents who are like, you killed our son, we hate you, who refer to each other as father and mother. Oh, dear. Who then realized that these kids are just kids too. And they're just trying to make their way through the world. It's fucking insane. Wow. It's that, not, that, don't get me wrong, it's not, you know, Glamorpus levels of insane. <laughs> no, no. Nothing is Glamorpus levels of insane. But it's, that is it's true. a crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, that's practically a Bob Haney-ish moment in a way, you know? It's just, I guess oh, my problem is, uh, is that... If you told me that the next panel is the ship being launched into space, this converted space yacht with the kids on it and the mother and father like solemnly looking at it rising up into the sky and one of them recites the lyrics to that song, you know, ride Captain Ride on your whatever, your mystery ship oh, or whatever. I, I, I really want to just do like Rocket Man or something. <laughs> or Rocket I think Man. It's yeah, exactly. A long, long time. I father. think it's going to be a long, long time, Father. Exactly. That was the level of Peter B. Gillis. I somehow was like, no, I cannot take this. I will not abide. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it, it, if you ignore action comics, Strike Force Mercury mm-hmm. may be the best comic I'll read all month. Wow, wow. Because it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's. First of all, it's one of those comics that is incredibly ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you're probably like, what the fuck is this? But now when you read it again, you're like, oh, shit. There's, he was, somehow he had guessed so much of what was coming. Um, like I keep telling everyone that Starbrand was for the new universe. Um, but it's also one of those comics that feels like it's, it's an, it was accidentally published by Marvel and should have been a 2000 <laughs> comic. Right. I was going to say an Eclipse comic, but I totally, I totally see where you're going with that. Um, so yeah, I can see, it, um, yeah, highly recommended. Wow. Well, I'm. I have to say, I'm very excited. Uh, I, I, I don't know how I would get my hands on that fine, lovely, but uh, I will have to try and figure out a way to do Inter-library so. Interlibrary loans, Jeff. Yes. So you've said, but they. Well, anyway. In any event, Graham. It, Thank you for that. We have been talking far too long. At this point, we're yeah. like two and a half hours, which is just insane. Yeah. And I have to, I have to go to get the shopping before Kate's mother gets here. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> I wish I could um, deliver the and uh, on that bombshell note because that is actually the appropriate comment to, and to leave. on that lack of bombshell. <laughs> Yes, listeners. And on that moment of mundanity. (laughs) Of of terrifying mundanity. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll come in next week. And um, I guess by that point, uh, we'll be talking less out my ass. 
Or, or maybe not. Maybe I'll be talking about my ass. Hopefully next week I'll have a chance to have read more recent comics, because this has been a while now. It is. It's the second time where you're like, no, and I'm like, oh, Graham, oh. It's, it's yeah, just things have been happening. Next week, no, things will not happen next week. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> That's the Graham McMillan promise. <laughs> 